everybody, and welcome to the Hey Poor Podcast. 25 best games, good games, great games, video games. There's games, there's 25 of them. There are several. Um, <laughs> I, I fucking crushed it. Crushed, I've had some ba- last year I had some bad intros, 2017, it's nothing but net. <laughs> oh, um... Yeah, so uh, welcome, welcome. Uh, this is the Hey Poor Podcast, uh, the only show on the internet about video games. Normally, we talk about the games we've played this weekend, the news of this week, but this is a very special episode. It's part two of a very special episode. Um, if you look at last week, you will see that it was our 2016 year in review, and we talked about uh, all of the news this year, and most of it kind of sucked. But this week, this week, we are talking about our top 25 games of the year this is hey poor players official game of the year list uh you can also read uh by the time when this podcast goes up we will also be releasing an article that will go uh that will talk about each game uh written by pretty much the entire hey poor players staff so you can check that just about you can check that out as well um but yeah these are these are the games of the year the objective <laughs> games of the year <laughs> Um, I am, as always, your host, the inimitable I. Coleman. I am joined by Jay Petroquin. You were so uh, busy trying to figure out if you could make 2017, you never stopped to think about whether you should. Ha <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, we've already stopped making 2018. There you go. Uh, Anthony, hey, sup, Spivey. <laughs> and, uh, of course, uh, co-owner... Uh, Jonathan Trussler. Uh, uh, yes, yes. Uh, deputy editor yes, yes, and yes, co-owner yes. Jonathan Trussler. Deputy yes, editor, uh, Francis was going to get very drunk today, but he had things to do. Uh, so I'm going to get twice as drunk on this podcast for him. Uh, by, by the time we get to the game of the year, I'm just going to be like, This fucking guy is fucking bad. <laughs> this man is... <laughs> In good shape. Okay, I'm gonna have to put a bleep there because you just said the name of the game. Oh shit! Hi, huh, yeah. I, I... Spoiler alert: It's not Frog Fractions. <laughs> what if it was though? Damn shame! Uh, damn shame! Has anyone gotten a chance to play that yet? I haven't because uh, it's like it's twenty bucks. A- Adam, Adam Foster probably has, which is a shame that he's never really able schedule wise to come on anymore. We need to get him on at some point soon to talk Absolutely. about that because I'm sure, like that was the first thing he ever wrote for us was an article about Frog Fractions too. So that that return has to happen eventually. Awesome, awesome. I I I, I really want to play it, but it's it's expensive. Plus, you have to play an entirely different game <laughs> in order to play the game. It's a whole thing. Um, but that is not. We're not talking about that. So yeah, this is uh, this is gonna be an atypical episode. We're not gonna do any questions. We're not gonna do the commercial break in the middle. Um, we're just gonna talk about twenty five good good games. Mm-hmm. We're gonna be very positive. I'm feeling positive. I, uh, I I I trimmed my beard today. It's a lot less scratchy. I'm just I'm feeling good. I'm ready for twenty seventeen. I'm ready to talk about twenty sixteen for the last fucking time. Amen. Let's yeah. l- let's lay this year to rest. Let's do it. I have the shotgun prepared to put in the old yeller this year. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, it's, it's, it's like, uh, has anybody seen Scrubs? This is for if I get sad, mm-hmm. and this is for if I get really sad. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Uh, uh, I should probably put a little musical sting in each one. Definitely. So this is just a reminder to my future self. I feel like I should put... <laughs> Ooh, 
Game number 25 is super hot. How hot, uh, you ask? Now you know. Super hot af. <laughs> um, so super hot. I've I've talked about it. I mean, th- this is going to be a theme. They're all going to be games we've talked about on the show before. You're just going to have to deal with that. Uh, super hot is a game that I, I've played quite a bit this year, even though I got into it late, not when it came out, mm. um, because... The one sort of downside to Superhot is that it is very short, and there's not a ton of content, and it's pretty expensive for what it is. It's like 30 40 bucks for uh, not a ton of gameplay. Uh, but the gameplay that is there is very, very cool. Uh, it's a first-person shooter where time only moves when you move, uh, and it's... As a result, replays of it always look really, really cool because, you know, you're basically moving in bullet time. Like, when they play the replay, it, you know, because it it looks like you're moving instantaneously, like you're anticipating every threat. Yeah. When really you were just looking around when time was stopped. Um, Except for mine. My replays look like shit. (laughs) I suck at this game. Uh, But I think Superhot is uh, the first game in something that's probably going to be a few positions on this list. I felt like 2016 was a really good year for shooters. Yeah. But I felt especially like it was a really good year for shooters that were trying different things. Um, you know, you had games like Super Hot, uh, Devil Daggers, uh, other games we will talk about on this list. <laughs> um, but I think it's interesting that this year I feel like we really moved away from a lot of the ground and bray military shooters. Like, you know, Call of Duty was still kicking around. Um, uh, uh, what was the other game I was going to say? Titanfall um, 2. No, not Titanfall 2. Like, I mean, I guess kind of Titanfall 2. I mean, kind it's a of Battlefield 1, but like. a game than it is, but it's still kind of a gray brown military shooter. The Medal of Honor game. Gears of War. Gears that was, was what I was going to yeah. say. Yeah. Gears, of, Gears of War 4. Was it existed? I, I keep. I might have said this last week. I legitimately keep forgetting that came out in 2016. <laughs> I did not think that game was out yet. <laughs> it it sure oh, is, man. and it's super memorable, obviously. But like, so I think it's really cool that we saw people trying things in the first person shooter space. Um, and Super Hot is. It's a really good game. It's got a really pretty aesthetic. It's 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 a lot of fun because. You have to think both in terms of a shooter and in terms of, like, a turn-based strategy game. Mm. At least that's the way that, you know, I see it. It's, 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 very, it's very interesting. It's a lot of fun. I don't know if you guys have anything to add. It's one of the most, like, <laughs> unique-looking games out there for, like, that came out this year. Just because of how simple and polygonal it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a game I've been looking to get into, just haven't been able to bite the bullet and buy it on Steam yet. Same. For me, it's on that short list with uh, with games like Fury and Hyperlight Drifter and actually like a, a couple of things that are... Um, there's a couple of things that we'll hit on that are also in this category, where it's just stuff that I'm very mad at myself for not finding the time to play in 2016. Because, like, mm-hmm. I have never enjoyed the Matrix mu- movies, but I love the aesthetic of what those movies do. And in this game, like, I, I, I think... Our person writing an entry for it said this, you are basically Neo from The Matrix. Like, you are just doing all that bullet time, amazing, dodgy shit, but you're doing it in a way that's actually comprehensive. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, And also, I mean, we probably should talk about the story. Um, I, I personally thought the story was the weakest aspect. I mean, it's a good game, but there's a reason it's at the bottom of the Mm -hmm. list. Um, uh, But I think, honestly, like, the story's not 
terrible. Um, it, it's this very sort of meta, it's a game within a game thing, and the game starts talking to you about being a game. And I think it, I think the main problem with it is not that it's really bad, but that it came out after, like, Undertale and another game on this list that we're going to talk about, and several mm-hmm. other games doing the meta things, so yeah. it didn't feel as original. It, it was just kind of a byproduct of it being in development for a long time. Yeah. Um, some people hate the story. Some people love it. It's I I think it's just kind of there. <laughs> um, the campaign, like the rest of the campaign, like how the mechanics are introduced throughout the campaign and stuff like that, is so well designed that I can excuse if the story is not the best ever. Yeah. Here's a. Uh, would you like a fun fact about about Super Hot real quick? Super Hot. I would love. <laughs> it's not really about, about Super Hot actually, because it's uh, Super Hot is one of two games that came out in 2016 that I'm aware of that had that sort of time only you moves when you move set up in a 3D space. Uh, the other being Shadwin, a game I played for review back over the summer. Yeah, the summer, which was a very bad medieval stealth game that I really did not like at all, not one bit. <laughs> um, and, yeah. And uh, and meanwhile, we have Super Hot, which just does that same concept. Because like, I when I first started playing that other game, I was like, oh, this is a very neat mechanic that goes nowhere because the game is not well designed. So I, I was really yeah. glad to hear that Super Hot does that same thing from a much more intelligently designed perspective. Right, right, and, and that's why you can't just dismiss it mm-hmm. as just a game. Oh, sure. Uh, it it is. They have put a lot of thought into it, um, and I don't mind the fact that it's short, honestly, because I, you know, it, it's exactly yeah. as long as it needs to be. Sure. When you're done playing it, you felt like you you feel like you know, yeah, I've I've had a good experience with this. It's just a little pricey for what yeah. is there. Uh, but if you see a Steam sale, pick that bad boy up. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend. <laughs> Game number 24 is Hitman. Mm-hmm. I did not play Hitman. What a great movie series. <laughs> oh, come on. I've seen the Hitman movie. Yeah, no, so so Hitman, I, not, I have I have yeah. not played, but I've watched it get played a lot, because uh, I, I, I name-drop Giant Bomb a lot, and that's because like, I've just gotten a lot more into Giant Bomb's uh, stuff, and they did a lot of really neat stuff with the Hitman stuff in uh, in 2016. They actually gave it their Game of the Year. That is their Game of the Year over there, is, is uh, Hitman. Just because of how much fun, weird stuff they were able to do within the guise of what that game allows you to do. Um, I, I did anyone did anyone in this in this show right now actually get around to playing it? No, but I cannot bloody wait. Um, I am a massive Hitman fan. I just mm-hmm. uh, haven't found the time this yeah, yeah. year. Yeah, exactly. Um, None of us have time. But yeah, um, it looks it looks really good. I've heard uh, Francis say that in his review, as I recall, that. Absolution was something of a departure, but Hitman, just Hitman, is something of a return to form. Mm-hmm. That's what I've heard. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've heard. That's the general consensus, and it does so in ways where, like, the occasional goofy parts in other Hitmans, where, and I'm just going to pull this out of my ass, it's like, you know, <laughs> you, have to, you have to hide as a clown in a birthday party to, like, kill a kid's dad or something. Like, really, really just <laughs> funny in its own messed upness, stuff like that. Fetish that, nuns with machine guns. F- yeah, from what I've been told and yeah. from what I've seen, uh, that gets brought to a whole new level in Hitman. Well... Still not feeling out of place in what that package is as a whole, and I think that's something really commendable. 
Yeah. 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 Well, honestly, this is another one where it's like, I really want to play it. So maybe you'll hear, maybe people will hear us talk about it more in 2017 as Mm. things go on. Who knows? Mm -hmm. This is one where, again, you can go to our Game of the Year article and read. Uh, Jamie did a very nice. Uh, Yes. And also, also go to our reviews archive under archives, drop down reviews archives and see all the reviews of the Hitman episodes. Yes. And go to our YouTube channel where I think somebody did a video about it, man. <laughs> Fuck it, let's just commercial break right now. Also, please follow this me on Twitter because I don't have ad. any followers. <laughs> <laughs> and follow Nathaniel's Tumblr. He has Kermit memes. Follow Jay on Instagram because why not? <laughs> this is getting silly. Yep. Uh, 24 is Hitman. It's, uh, you know, it's just a darn good Hitman game. <laughs> Musical sting. Pretty yep. Game 23, Klaus. Now, this is interesting because this is a game nobody's fucking played or heard yep. of. Yep. <sighs> All right. Just, just <laughs> wind, wind Jay up. Jay, tell us about Klaus. So, Klaus <laughs> hit me in the beginning of 2016, just about a year ago. Um, And, and fra- I, I have this thing where I always laugh a little in my head when I hear a game described as, or anything described as, like, X meets Y. And this game was very cut and dry, uh, described to me as... Thomas Was Alone meets Super Meat Boy in the sense that it is both a 2D platformer with a certain sense of narrative to it within its 2D platformer space and also one that amps up the challenge pretty quickly in a lot of ways like Super Meat Boy does. Um, And I was like, okay, yeah, you know, I, I like both of those games a fair deal. I'll give this a shot. Why not? And what I found was what has become one of my favorite games in the entire platformer genre. Like, like... Bar none. Um, it is it is up there with my absolute favorites in a genre I've been playing most of my life. Um, Klaus is this game that starts out really simply. You know, you're running, you're jumping, you can do a little double jump. There's a couple different things. Um, things get a little hectic, a little crazy. There's buzz saws everywhere. Um, you can use the like PS4 touchpad to move platforms around. It's all well and good. You get to the end of the first world and you're starting to break a sweat. Things are starting to get a little challenging. And then the game straight up gives you an entire second character to control. And that gets introduced in the beginning of the second world, and it's the first in this series of things, and I I don't mind spoiling that. Um, It's the first in this series of moves the game makes over the course of its, let's say, like 10 hours or so, where every of the game's... uh, The first five of the game's six worlds, and the sixth is an exception for a whole different reason. The first five worlds of this game, each one turns the entire game on its head in a different way and they all work they shouldn't work they really shouldn't work they work um whether it's like introducing a complete second half of the assets you have at your disposal whether it's completely changing the rules of objects around you that you've been using in certain ways the whole game it just is so intelligently designed in the pace at which it introduces these new elements and switches them up that like if if I were to describe it in any way, it's like if someone, and this is you know this is the big joke is that this is what I'm doing here. If someone rambles a horrible run on statement that doesn't really make any sense, but somehow at the end of it you get a, a grander feeling of what they're trying to say to you. That is what happens with the number of different things and different twists thrown at you in the gameplay of this thing, and um, 
it does really cool stuff with its story because it's like it's a really existential game like Klaus is a game about a guy facing his humanity uh, finding out horrible things about himself and uh, all within the space of a tiny little cartoon man wearing a shitty yellow jacket um, running through an office building that he doesn't remember getting into. And it, it, it does a lot of really good play with narrative because, like I mentioned, that second character, um, the way the way the narrative works, uh, the main character, Klaus, his like narration shows up just in like the blank space in the levels as you're hopping through them. Whenever you switch to the other character, his does as well. And the two sort of bounce off each other and play off each other. And it's just witty and smart and just really brilliantly well-written. Um, I'm not even going to say it's the deepest thing in the world because it does tread ground that some other games have tread and stuff, even in the last couple of years. Like, there's some bits of it that are very Stanley Parable in certain ways. But it is just a really amazing experience, like... It's one of those times where where I didn't realize a game was a 5 out of 5 by trying to shout about how good it was. It was because I kept looking at it from a different angle and just couldn't find flaws. I just couldn't find Mm -hmm. them. I had a magnifying glass. I had my my Google search. I couldn't fucking find flaws. It was just so good. (laughs) So, like, like, honestly, if anything, it's on here because it does the things that modern indie platformer games do better than almost any modern indie platformer game I've played. And I've played, I would say, most of the notable ones. And that's why I feel it deserves to be on this list and played by people more than it has. Because, like, as the joke was at the beginning, no one's really played it or talked about it. So, yeah. Well, I'll tell you yeah. I'll tell you the reason I haven't played it. It's because it was Steam Greenlit in February of 2016. Mm-hmm. It is now January of 2017. Developers still haven't put it on Steam. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's the weird thing about it. And that's the last thing I'll say about it is... um. Usually I have a very strict, just personal policy about not nominating uh, ports of games that were like early, like released before the year in question uh, for this. The reason Klaus is an exception, it originally came out in 2015 on iOS and Android. <laughs> so for tablets mm-hmm. and other phones and stuff like that. And I've tried that version of the game and it stinks. Like... It stinks for no other yeah. reason than that you're trying to run and jump and like time things very precisely in a space where that is just very difficult to do, um, and, mm-hmm. and there's certain things like like I mentioned the thing where on the um, on the PlayStation Four version you can use the touchpad to do stuff. You know, obviously that was the touchscreen on whatever phone you're using originally. That stuff carries over well, and everything else carries over in a way that lends itself a lot more to a physical controller and a big TV or whatever than to your phone or your iPad. It just it it, it mm-hmm. fits better in that space. It's as simple as that, and I think that space is what pushes it into that final phase of being worth being you know on this list and on my personal list. Mm-hmm. And that's Klaus. Well, I'm yeah. glad you. I'm glad you taught me how to pronounce it because I was honestly reading it as Claus. The entire time. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not an exaggeration. I was like, huh. That's especially funny to me because Klaus is just a name a person can have. No, yeah, like it's just it's just a name. I knew what Klaus. Is. It's not. It's not that. I mean, shoot, the series of unfortunate yep. events is coming out soon. Yep. Klaus is in that. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I am glad you like a series right. of unfortunate events. <laughs> Alrighty. So, oh yeah, man, that's, that's I, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that we we talk about TV shows on this podcast quite a bit. I'm sure that when that comes out in a, I think this week, I'm oh, sure God. that will get a lot of talk. Yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah, that'll be fun. But yeah, Klaus. Um, if it ever hits PC, it is absolutely on my list because cool. it sounds like exactly my cup of tea. Yeah, yeah. People who like those kinds of games should definitely check it out if they haven't. That's that's basically my last word on it. <laughs> Ooh, 
Game 22, Slain Back from Hell. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> this, this was I know a... that it came out... Oh, like it came out first and it was like really bad and then they had to like remaster the whole yeah. thing and it actually became a good game. That's all well, I know about it. You know what? Fuck it. Let's just read Mike's blurb. That's like a fan. Can, Mike, can take I, it away. Can I, can I read on. a bit of it? <laughs> oh sure, yeah, yeah. Oh, we, we absolutely. Well, should we ahead. take turns? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, just, just go for former it. Former Celtic Frost bassist Kurt Victor Bryan lends his talents and the end result is stellar. My head was banging to the music and my brain was telling me to keep pushing so I could be treated to a new metal tune on the next level. Retro fans should not let this game pass them by. What are you waiting for? Honor the great horned metal god! There we go. <laughs> and now you know everything about Slain Back from Hell. Okay, <laughs> seriously though, uh, Slain Back from Hell is a uh, 2D uh, horror game, um, sort of a horror game, because it's like a big, it, it, it's, it's, it's ar- arcade combat is what the genre apparently is. It's one of these games where you, you know, fight a whole bunch of enemies um, and big old boss fights, and uh, it's a really fun platformer with a hellish aesthetic, which y'all know I'm about. <laughs> Good. It's good. Yeah. Yep. I'm sorry we don't have sorry. more to say about it. If, if hey, like, like... Didn't play that one. Yeah, obviously, to say, if people, you know, listening to this or on the forums or whatever have more to say about it and want to talk about it, hit us up. Like, come to the, you know, send us questions or, you know, mail to read on the show. Let's talk about and, it more. And, uh, yeah, read read Mike's review of it. Definitely. Uh, because that will explain this man's love <laughs> and why he's crowbarred <laughs> onto the list. <laughs> Game 21, King of Fighters, Civ, <laughs> which is 14. Sure is. Yes. <laughs> well, shit, guys. God damn it. Frank, Latin, Frank everyone. took a second. This is a game that Frank put yeah. on here. Yep. It's a good old fighting game with a bunch of punching and kicking. Oh, is that the That's one with, know. like, uh... Oh, never mind. Sorry, I had something to say, but it's gone. <laughs> Alright, we, we can't do this. Like, like I'm gonna find his review real quick so we can have some more context. Okay. So so I've I've got I've got Frank's Frank's review and we'll sort of let a little bit of it speak uh speak for him because sort of the main point that that he made in his review, and you know, obviously we can link it and people can find it and everything, is that it was a really good example of I guess this and, and this is something I did know a little, uh something about this rekindled spirit in terms of like just downright effort into their games that SNK has really been putting into their games these days. Like, it seems like it is a really big revitalization of what the King of Fighters developers and their kind of things are, you know, are all about. And that's essentially the spirit of it is just, it's this, it's this rekindling of a lot of things. So it's, it's putting SNK back on the map for a lot of people. And, uh, and I actually have seen a little bit of this where like, there's a lot of like that is a, that is a game with a very niche fan base that has had a lot to celebrate in terms of that game and has sort of grown a little bit over the course of this year. Like I, th- I think King of Fighters will always be a little bit of a niche thing here in the West, but that niche has has thrived a little in 2016 because of this game. I I think it also did better than the other major fighting game that came out this year <laughs> because it actually came out with everything all at once. Yeah. 
I'm <laughs> sorry, Street Fighter Five, but you're sh- did you do? A- could you have done any worse of an opening <laughs> compared to other games in your genre? <laughs> <sighs> you're sure not on this list, are you, Street Fighter Five? You're sure not. I'm looking. You know, we, I don't we see. We saw Street Fighter Five on this list, and then we kicked it off on the road so it can get run over. Just like uh, well, I tell you what. Right, but be- right before the game of the year, I have written. Worst game, and you know, I think I see the specter of Street Fighter Five maybe hanging around. That we'll have to see. We'll have to you see. Ha- you have you see Ryu's red ribbon flapping in the wind. I see something. I don't know. We'll have to. We'll have to get down this oh, list man, and find I'm out. Game twenty. Odin Sphere Lufthrauser. I, I always say Lufthrausers for that. <laughs> <laughs> Odin Sphere Luft- Odin Sphere Leaf Thrazer. I think. Odin Sphere Razor Leaf. Bulbasaur, <laughs> use Odin Sphere Razor Leaf. <laughs> okay, so Odin Sphere was a, a game that came out in 2007. Uh, it's sort of a... It's a good old vanillaware joint. It's um, it, it's yeah. yeah it, it's it's essentially like it, it's it's again it's it's sort of it's basically a platformer. It's like an action adventure. You go. It's, it's a two D right action sort of RPG. Yeah, yeah. For yeah, people yeah. who are um, familiar with Dragon's Crown or Muramasa the Demon Blade, it's the same people who did that, and it's roughly the same style of game. Mm-hmm. Different style of art than Dragon's Crown, which I do appreciate, yep. but we won't get into that yep. whole. Uh, <laughs> any um. Uh, Oat Sphere was something of a cult classic. Like a lot of people really, really liked it, but not everyone sort of knew about it. At least that was always my uh, uh, experience. It didn't solve it. No, well yeah. Um, one thing that was interesting about it is that uh, it it takes a lot of inspiration from something that not a lot of games have been inspired by, which is opera. Yeah, um, specifically true. like uh, Wagner. Yep, as operatic works, um, and it's like a really like Norse imagery uh, type game. Um, and yeah, as far as I know, uh, Lithraiser was basically like a, uh, it's a remastering, right? Yeah. Like it's a, yeah, yeah, they, they fixed a bunch of like, one of the big things, like I have a friend who's really, really into the new, uh, Razor <laughs> game. <laughs> We're just gonna just pronounce it with more <laughs> at the time. You know what? If Francis wanted to be pronounced correctly, should have been on the True. show. He would have written a translation. Take that, that uh, all of our boss. <laughs> but <laughs> but anyway, uh, I have a friend who's like who says it's basically more of the same game that the first or the original one was, but they fix a lot of the slowdown on some of the bosses because some of the attacks make a whole lot of just bright colors and flashing everywhere. And one of the biggest complaints on the original is uh, there's a lot of slowdown on a few of the bosses, so. It's apparently it's fixed a lot of the issues that the original one had. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about uh, putting a remastering on a on a game of the year list? That's ooh, some people don't that, like it when you do that. Yeah, that was my right. number one last year. Yeah, I I, I think <laughs> so. I think it depends on well. Wait, Spivey, what was yours last year? Because I think it was something we both played, wasn't it? It was a uh, Shimagami Tensei uh, Devil Survivor. Yes. 2. Okay. Which which I I actually really liked that port, and I liked that game a lot. Um, I, I would I would argue that with Odin Sphere, based on what Anthony just spe- said about it fixing a lot of bugs and some broken things in the game, I, I think that makes it very much worth being on here. I don't think we I don't think we would be like in the best standing to like name it number one for that, but I'm glad it's on here because I think in terms of, like the low you know the lower levels of the list, that's actually a really good thing to have some examples of is like instances where a remaster has made a game objectively better in some real ways. Um, and, and and Anthony, I, I would I would probably stand with you that the same could be said in some ways for um, 
for uh, Devil Survivor, although I didn't like the new content all that much, personally. I wasn't a fan of that whole second story they added very much, but I think you could make that same case there, probably. Mm-hmm. I, I like putting remasterings on Game of the Year list, at least one. Yeah. Um, because I, I agree that, like, maybe, you know, certainly having the whole list be that, possibly making it number one, like, that could be in sort of poor taste. But, like, uh, there's so many, like, remasterings and reboots and, and stuff now that, like, I think it's good to celebrate the ones that are actually Definitely. good and aren't, like, Metal Gear, or not Metal Gear, uh, 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 Call of Duty Modern Warfare remastered. We put microtransactions and crafting into it now. Also, you can only get by buying Infinite Warfare. Also, go Wait, fuck yourself. Wait, did they actually put microtransactions on a game that you can only get if you bought another game? Yep. Wow, really? A, what? A, yep. Holy crow. An old, like, was it like a nine-year-old Something game? Something like that. Nathaniel and I had a grand old yell about that on on the podcast. Jesus. Yeah, so, basically... Fuck Modern Warfare Remastered. Yeah. Good job, Odin Sphere. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I wish I wish Frank had been on here to talk in a little more detail about those changes, but I th- I think those I think that can be a good case in itself for it being on here, definitely. And tell us how to pronounce it. I, I'm still gonna call it Luftrausers. Odin Spear choking slowly to death. That's how it's <laughs> pronounced. And otherwise specified. Left trace. <laughs> Alright. Let's move on. God damn it. <laughs> Game 19, Flame in the Flood. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I crowbarred this one in uh, because it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. And this was actually the first game I've ever given a 5 out of 5 to. And the only game, game I've given a 5 out of 5 to to this date. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hopefully that says something right there. Uh, Flame in the Flood, it's basically a roguelike where you are this survivor in this sort of post-apocalyptic, flooded America, where you're riding these great whitewater rivers uh, on your rickety raft and trying to avoid, um, you know, smashing your little raft on the rocks. And and then you land at places, and then you have to sort of get, you know, food and supplies and craft stuff to survive. And then, you know, a boar will try and gore you to death and... You have to worry about eating the wrong thing and getting stung by rattlers and stuff. And it's it's basically brilliant because it, it's kind of got this incredible... I think I've talked about this to Jay before, that to get mm. a 5 out of 5, a game has to make you feel something deeply emotional. Yeah. And that's what Flame of the Flood did to me. It made yep. me feel like the very essence of backwards Southern America, you know... Arkansas deliverance <laughs> all these things <laughs> distilled into kind of a jug of moonshine and that is what playing flame of the frog is like Fl- flood is like is flame in the frog flame in the frog yeah hey look flame in the frog fractions too fire in the frog here let me finish uh, <laughs> sorry sorry it is just the essence of backward america uh, backwards america distilled into a game and it is mm-hmm. magical it is special and everyone should play it. That's what i got to say. Cool. It struck me, I was actually looking at it the other day, it strikes, strikes me a little bit as, like, kind of a variant on, like, Don't Starve Together, or that kind of game, a little bit, where where it, it's it's that level of 
wild survival, but with, you know, with the variant of a river that is very important sort of put in there, which which seems very interesting to me as someone who Absolutely. actually... It is, hmm. is kind of like Don't Starve, except Don't Starve, you kind of have these areas, these little enclaves that kind of become your base or yeah, you get to know the area. Whereas in Flame mm. of the Flood, it's, it's, it's everything is about what you leave behind. Yeah. Whatever you leave behind, you'll never see it again. So you have to make very careful choices at every stage what you're taking with you, what you're leaving behind. And I think it's just, it's a beautiful metaphor for life because you can't keep everything. Yeah. You know, everything is going to be washed away in time. But just the ride, that incredible whitewater ride is what make life uh, makes life worth living. Yeah, that's, that's kind of beautiful. It's a gorgeous game as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm just looking at it now. It's... I'd like just looking at it, it's it's very very pretty game. And the music, the music is just this most incredible collection of bluegrass and blues <laughs> and folk music. It's it's amazing. It has to be heard to be believed. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, awesome. And uh, if you ever manage to pick up the game and you want to experience a uh, post-apocalyptic uh, backwards America for yourself, just wait for later this month. It, yep, it's coming out on PS4. You won't... in January, so pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's what I was referring to. <laughs> um, good save, I, I, Jonathan, good save. I'm, a, I'm a little good bit save. drunk right now, so give me a break. Good save. I'm, I'm on that. I'm on that backwards America moonshine. There we go. <laughs> You're on that backwards America moonshine. God bless it. Game number eighteen. Oh boy, as, as soon, people are going to get mad about this. <laughs> one. Did did anyone? Can we clear this up? Did anyone on this process? So you know, we did a whole voting process with everyone on the site. Did anyone currently on right, this that's, show? That's why we don't know about. That's why we don't know about every yeah, game is yeah. because every person on the site participated in the games of the year. Not every person on the site wanted to participate in the podcast. Yes. So, did anyone on the show right now vote for this particular game? Yes. Nope. Jonathan, Jonathan did. did. Yes. Jonathan, take it away. <laughs> well, what if we say? How, hey, I have an idea. What if we said what the game? Hey, was? I love that. What idea. if we shower said with your dad simulator twenty sixteen? <laughs> <laughs> hey, that was shower with your dad simulator twenty fifteen. Colon, do you still shower with your dad? <laughs> Question mark. Please get it right. All right, please. game eighteen is Battleborn. No. <laughs> Game game 18 is Space Jam. (laughs) The 2000 film Game 18 is Mirror's Edge Catalyst. Mirror's Edge Catalyst. Yes. (laughs) All right, Jonathan. While I've still got a little bit of sobriety left, let me uh, run through this one. Yes, uh, apparently this is a bit unpopular, but, uh, you know, Bethany basically suggested this uh, for the list, and I thought, oh my God, of course, yes, Mirror's Edge Catalyst. Um, The thing is... When you actually play it, it, it's actually one of the most uniquely challenging games um, of of this year. Um, there are these sort of runs you'll take on from these various sort of mercenary contractors around this kind of amazing, beautiful city. It, it, it's like if IKEA designed a city, a totalitarian uh, dystopia that's actually sort of strangely beautiful, but oddly sort of existentially empty. That's what the world of Mirror's Edge is like. Yeah. Um, And, uh, yeah, it is, I find, it's just really fun, really bracing, feeling the wind in your Mm. face as you're running and jumping and leaping around this IKEA dystopia. 
And uh, as I said, yeah, it, it, some of the levels are actually really challenging. And um, I thought it was... Oh, oh, yes, and the best thing is you can kick people into each other. <laughs> you, you, can kick, you can kick a guard in the head. He'll kind of fall over another guard in a kind of a really overdone way. They'll kind of ragdoll all over each other. And they'll end up in some hilarious positions, like they'll end up 69ing... Or they'll end up, you know, between each other's legs, or you can just oh. kick. <laughs> you can just kick. You can kick each other into each other, kick them off ledges. It's it's directional kicking, guys. We need oh. more directional kicking, and that's can, can why I, it's a gate. Why it's why it's on this game of the year list. Can, can I possibly share a really dumb side note, really quick, based on the concept of aggressive kicking? And then Jay proceeded to tell an incredibly long and boring story about the D&D game he played the night before. And I decided to cut all that out because it wasn't any... It was bad. Back on Mirror's Edge Catalyst, not Jay's fun time D&D venture, <laughs> that we don't need to read the rest of the list because they all stopped listening. <laughs> okay, uh, I, I'll say this. I'll say this for Mirror's Edge. Cause it's it's a it's a positive show, mm-hmm. and there's other words I could say in regards to Mirror's Edge. There is still no other game that has managed to make first-person platforming good. Yeah, and mm-hmm. Mirror's Edge did that, and Mirror's Edge Catalyst did that better. Yeah, so there's something for that. I wish other games would look at either of the Mirror's Edge games and be like, "Huh, let, what if we did that?" Because there's still so many games that force you to do platforming in first person, and it sucks. Mm-hmm. Like, almost universally. So, like, for whatever else these games are, I wish they were appreciated enough that people would start, like, ripping them off. You know what I mean? Oh, amen. Like, there's there's mechanics in, there's mechanics in them that you feel like, why has nobody else yeah. done this? I, I kind of agree. Now. Why has nobody of, else figured this out? It's kind of the kicker to it, right? Like, like yeah, it's it's... It's a certain kind of challenge. It's a like who it's in theory it's a who can do this kind of game the best, but it's just one that hasn't really caught on outside of Mirror's Edge for whatever reason. But then again, I mean if everyone started doing it, it would become like Gears of War, then every game would do it <laughs> and it would no longer be special, so Yeah, but you'd have balance, more people I having suppose. chances to do them better. I don't know. Oh, I guess And so. the fact that EA just completely dropped advertising it, like, right when it came out. Yeah. We might actually not get yeah. anything like this for a while, yeah. so. Not from them. Oh. Yeah. Oh, well. I guess On that note, well, we, like, we liked it. <laughs> <laughs> we liked it, so there's that. This is, I'm going to take a running start at this one. <laughs> Shin Megami Tensei 4 Apocalypse. Did I get yeah, it? Yeah, you did. Nice. That's nice. A good game. Did, yeah, so yeah. It, Tell us about it. Talks about it gets it. the exact spot it deserves on this list. Nice. From the <laughs> you four played and a half game, hours you like, I played it. <laughs> you, play, you were like, that is a 17 out of 25. As soon as I booted up and heard the opening song, I'm like, that's the 17th best game <laughs> coming out this year. <laughs> <laughs> Tell, it, Tell us about Smitiv colon A. Smith, uh, Smith four a Smith four four a, yes. Um, it is the sequel to Shin Megami Tensei four, mm-hmm. which came out twenty, maybe twenty thirteen. That was thirteen, I want to say, yeah, yeah, thirteen on the three DS, which was a good and 
notoriously difficult RPG. It's a good game, yeah. But uh, what I liked about Apocalypse is uh, besides the pre-order bonus where they would give you a pin that was literally just the anarchy symbol <laughs> and a and a peace symbol, which I found really funny. That was the two things that they would give out, or just little tiny pins with the anarchy symbol <laughs> on it. But uh, the, for the game itself, it is uh, it's an improvement over what the original did in terms of both graphically, it looks a little bit better. Mm-hmm. They kept most of the areas looking the same, but they upgraded it just a bit. Uh, character design-wise, was better. And the opening to the story, which is about as far as I got, because I only got four and a half hours before I put it down, because I was way too busy with other RPGs to spend a hundred hours trying to figure out how to beat this damn game. <laughs> the opening is actually not completely boring, which is what I found the original Shin Megami Tensei 4 to be. It actually starts up and you it kicks off because your main guy dies and gets killed off within the first hour of, at most of the game. Neat. And your whole thing is uh, you're offered a chance to come back to life by being possessed by a demon uh, to try and stop the devils and angels from killing themselves and humanity to extinction. Which is, you know, the apocalypse name of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just found it to be a much better improvement over the first game, but not enough of it was changed mm. in order for it to really place higher up. It, it, it just felt like a continuation of the story rather than yeah. So, so does it take place in the else. same like locate like setting and everything as four? Yeah, okay. there's a, there's new areas, but it's still it's, it's still basically that weird, that weird. It's Tokyo. mostly the same game. Yeah, weird Tokyo <laughs> is there. Uh, Alrighty. <laughs> uh, same characters, like your main characters from Four come back. Really? Okay. So like the the main character uh, from Four, Finn. Yeah. He's actually a, a main character in this game as well, mm. but he's just not playable. Huh. I yeah. That that's so. interesting. I uh, Four was a weird. I, I reviewed Four back in uh, back in twenty thirteen. I think I gave it like a solid four out of five. Cause, you know, it's a very competent RPG as all those games tend to be. I I found myself having trouble with the world building of it just because like. <laughs> the setup of it is there in the uh, four is these characters who you're introduced are in this this weird kind of secluded medieval realm and then go down through a giant tunnel into modern day vaguely futuristic Tokyo, which is encased in a giant weird demon dome of some sort. And just the way that stuff is spun is very sudden and, like, kind of rough and abrasive, which is something that sometimes happens in Shimagami Tensei. But I found it particularly so. So I guess that was one thing that I was hoping would be better in this one is that, like, maybe the way the world is developed feels a little more smooth at the very least. We, well, from the first few hours, I don't know if you go back up to the world above, mm-hmm. but basically that area is taken over by the angels. Oh, okay. So, I kind of like that at least better. from what I understood. So Interesting. You stay in you stay in Tokyo yeah. for the first at least few hours of it. They expand upon it more, even though you're going through the same areas. Neat. So, but yeah. it it's good, and it has a really kick ass like 3ds theme that came with the game. So, <laughs> yeah, four four was a good 3ds yeah. game that I feel like wound up uh, going under too many people's radars, and I'm sure the same probably happened with this as. The 3DS has not exactly had the highest number of awesome games in 2016, more than the Vita, but not exactly, like, a massive headcount uh, there. We'll get into the two massive games yeah. and how wrong I was yeah. a little bit later into this list. Yep. 
Game 16. Pro Evolution Soccer 2017. Suck it, people who call it football, it's soccer. That's all I have yeah. to say about this game. Take that. What? Yeah. <laughs> okay, um... So this is another one that might be kind of weird to some people, but I, I've had a little experience with this, and it is it, – it, they really did put some effort into this one. Um, and I think that it's fair to say that in general, um, Konami, despite being Konami, actually puts a little more effort into uh, Pez, you know, Pro Evolution Soccer, like than people would expect. Certainly more, I would argue, than EA has bothered to put into Madden. Mm. Literally, if you own a Madden game on a system that you have, you own every Madden game. Don't bother buying another one. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily say that you should buy, like, Pez every single year. But if you're going to buy one, this is the one to buy because they really did, like, change it up a lot. Um, they really, like, there's not a lot you can do with a sports game, but it really does feel a little more real. Even though all the teams have fake names, like all the players have a lot of personality and all the teams have a lot of personality. And part of that is because of the single player mode, which is called uh, uh master league really is like some kind of, it, 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 it's more like management focused than just like, Oh, you take your perfect team and you just, you just win. You just get to the end and win always, um, which is always kind of how I felt about man games. Like it's, they're not, hard really um it, it encourages messing around a bit more again there is like some more management not quite to the football manager level but like you can have like if you don't want to pick players or if you can afford to pick players like you can have your scouts find people for you um but again it also just kind of encourages you to mess around like you don't have to play a team that is actually good at soccer <laughs> in PES 2017 <laughs> like you could just make a shitty team okay. <laughs> and still like that's fine because the campaign isn't really about mm. winning. It's just sort of about managing your team and like whatever that means. Mm. And that's it's I, it's fun. I, I, I'm, I'm going to bookmark that statement you just made about that for a later game on this list. You'll know when we get there. <laughs> All right. Yeah. It's it's like uh, it's <laughs> one of the many ways Pez 2017 is like uh, Shimigami <laughs> for Apocalypse. No, but like really, both of them are sort of like. They don't do anything super special. They don't do anything that really wows you, but they're, like, really solid, really good um, games. You know, so, like, they what they set out to do, they do very well. And even if they do not wow you, even if they do not have any huge surprises other than, hey, this Pez game isn't just a reskin of the last one, <laughs> um, you know, it's there, there's something to that. There's something to just making... A really solid, really polished, fun game. It's a really good game at doing the things that those games do. Exactly, exactly. Game 15! I am so excited for this one because it is a game Francis and I have talked about quite a bit on this show. It is King's Quest. I am really glad that King's Quest made it onto our list because it has not made it onto, I don't know, I've seen it really on any. Mm. And I think that part of that is because the first episode released in 2015, and then the second episode took, like, over a year. Yeah. And the episode, re- and so, like, the first episode had a lot of hype, a lot of people were, like, excited for it, and they killed all of that mm. hype for you know, by waiting so freaking long to release it. But I really think that, like, now that it's done, especially now that it's done and you can just play that bad boy straight down, 
If you have any interest in point-and-click adventure games, you should not even King's Quest, point-and-click adventure games at yeah. all, you should go back and play this one. Um, because I personally, I think that it is the best story of of 2016. Wow. It's one of my absolute top games of the nice. year, even though it's only 15 on our list. Um, and I think it's because it does things that video game stories don't usually do and kind of frowns upon and shows like why they are good and cool mm-hmm. things. Um, so like in in King's Quest, the main character, the titular king, King Graham dies um and that's not a spoiler because it's something that's set up in episode one like the premise for the game is king graham is super duper old he's lived a long full life and he's telling his stories to his granddaughter before he dies Mm -hmm. which he's going to do because he's really sick um and so the and like there's a lot of games that kill the protagonist now it's kind of become almost a thing um but it's usually for shock value, right? It's usually like, oh, look at us. We killed the protagonist. Isn't it surprising? And first of all, that's not, it's not a great reason to do Mm -hmm. that. And second of all, like, no, it's not. It's, you know, Walking Dead came out in 2012. Like, come, come down. And it was, it was not super new then. Um, so like, it's really interesting to see a game that deals with death in a more sort of i almost i kind of hate to use this term when talking about video games but like realistic manner you know what i mean when king graham dies it's not sad because holy crap he died it's sad because like this is someone who you've gotten to know this is someone who you really get to experience his entire life and it's not sad in like it's sad in that way that losing an actual relative especially an elderly one is you know where it's like it was their time, but at the same time, the world will not be as good a place without... Th- losing King Graham kind of feels like losing an actual relative. Like, that's how close you get to the character. That's how well the character is written. Wow. And there's a lot of things like that. Like, ever since The Walking Dead came out... And, and I love The Walking Dead, don't get me wrong. But it has inspired a lot of imitators that are not as good at it. And one thing that every choice-based game now has to imitate is the fact that The Walking Dead really made you feel like every choice you made was wrong. Hmm. And and now, like, all of these games where it's like, you know, X person will remember that. Most of them, especially a lot of... Even Telltale's later games, like the Batman game that came out this year, but let me tell you, did not make it onto the list. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it's like, oh, it's all dark and sad, and this did not... You know, like, uh, oh, everything you did was wrong. Whereas there's a line towards the end of King's Quest, and this is slightly more of a spoiler, but not a, not a ton, where um, King Graham talks about having lived with no regrets. Even the things he made that were mistakes, he's glad about because they led him to this place. And you really get to see that. And so it's not about feeling terrible about all of the decisions you made. It's Again, it's, it's about that acceptance of it. And, like, these are things that... Uh, I feel like a lot of games poo-poo on because, like, oh, it's not emotional if, you know, the player isn't sad all the time because the only emotion is sad. <laughs> King's Quest is a game that really goes through all the emotions. It's a really funny game. It's, in parts, a really sad game. It's It it doesn't force itself to be just one thing, mm-hmm. It fe- and so it feels more yeah. real. Um, and it is also a really, really funny game. Um, you know, I, Francis and I have talked a lot about the serious side of it. It's just really fun and really silly. And the fact that he's telling the story and 
to his granddaughter as well, like, leads to a lot of unreliable narrator stuff <laughs> with the two of them and a lot of really funny things. Um, especially as it goes on and Graham starts to lose his memory. And it's just like, they do that really, really well. And like, the deaths are still in the game from the original King's Quest, but every time you die, like, the granddaughter is just like, Grandpa, you obviously didn't die. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not convinced. And it's, it's, and it's, it's funny and sweet and, and you don't even have to be a fan of the series to play. Although if you are, there are some great, great callbacks. Like, um, I don't know if I've ever subjected you guys to, I usually do like at least once post this video. This is like my equivalent of Rick rolling. Um, have you guys ever heard the King's Quest V town music? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, well, remind me to show you that later. It is frequently cited as the worst song in any video game. <laughs> Here, I'm gonna... Oh, please. I'm gonna, I'm gonna paste this in. I want you guys to listen to it. I'll put it in the actual show as well, because nobody's gonna copyright claim this. Just just listen to a little of it. <laughs> I think it's going to come through my speakers, which I apologize. What the hell is this? <laughs> I feel like... I don't think I could listen to this for more than a minute. I go a bit mad. I... I, I, I feel like I'm listening to, like... Oh, man. That, that feels like I'm... It sounds like when you give a toddler access to, like, rock <laughs> It's the worst! That felt it is like... the worst song in... Any video game, but there's this moment in King's Quest where you go to a town, and it's not the same town. It's in episode four, if you're looking for it. It's pretty subtle. And there's this really pretty town theme playing in the background, and I'm like, huh, what is that? And I listen carefully, and it's the same same melody. It's like they made a really pretty version of the shittiest song ever to appear in any video game. And I fucking died. Oh, like, people were looking... People in the same room as me were looking at me like I was crazy. It, it, like, it sounds like I'm playing an educational PC game about math. <laughs> like, a superhero <laughs> is helping me learn about fractions while that's playing. <laughs> like, this is like the theme song to Mavis Beacon teaches typing. <laughs> yeah, so, honestly, the fact that King's Quest... on Like, I... I like the King's Quest games for their place in history. I don't like them as games. They are not fun. And, like, it managed to take everything that made those good, like the heart and the soul of them and the humor of them, and make them actually fun. So, nice. yeah, I, I think I've I think I've think talked about it more than enough, but I love King's Quest. It's underappreciated and yeah. good. Yeah. Good call. And it stars... And it stars Christopher Lloyd and Wallace Shawn, who it was in The Princess Bride. He was the guy who was always saying inconceivable. Yep. And they both do an amazing job. And if nothing else, you should get it because Christopher Lloyd might die. <laughs> this might be the last thing he ever <laughs> well, does. Well, speaking of death, now nah, that's a half way to segue that. But I know also the, uh, the granddaughter is voiced by uh, Zelda Williams, da- daughter of Robin Williams. Yeah. Also in. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, who's, who's actually a very good voice actor. Like She's been in, like, I think, Legend of Korra and some other really good stuff. She's very good as well. I think so, yeah. Yeah, and she does it. She does a yes. fine job. So, good game. Game fourteen, Pony Island. Mm-hmm. Another game that I'm really excited to be on here. Um, so, Pony Island was the first game that I reviewed in 2016, and I did not review it for Hey Poor Player because I was not working for Hey Poor Player. But you can find it on my Medium account. Um, and what I said about it then, when it came out in January, like, uh, 
January 7th, 2016 was when I originally published the review. It came out a few days prior. Um, so almost exactly a year ago now. Excuse me. And what I said was, Pony Island is the best gaming experience you can have for $5. And if you have a Steam account, you should probably get it. And I still stand by that. <laughs> so Pony Island um, starts off as a, as a pretty simple platformer. It's very much a sort of thing you would see on a mobile device. Uh, although the conceit is that it's at an arcade cabinet, but it's it's very much playing out that sort of mobile game thing. And you play as this cute pixelated pony, and you're jumping over obstacles with the mouse. Um, and then, after a few levels of this like very, very simple, again, mobile-style, jumping, almost Flappy Bird-esque game, uh, Pony Island informs you that if you want to proceed, you have to make an in-app purchase. Huh. Um because uh, specifically in order to continue to the next level you will have to sell your soul i'm i'm because it i'm watching the no, i'm ahead. watching like a, a trailer for this as you're talking and this game is not at all what i expected and i can't believe i haven't played it yet because it turns out that pony island is a platformer game that was made by the devil oh, in order to trap human souls and so the gameplay is then split between these puzzle sections where you are trying to hack into the game's code and bring it down from the inside, which I want to say, as an a, an IRL coder, when I'm not, you know, doing this nonsense, um, like, it, it is one of the more, it's one of the better representations of coding in a video game. But, like, so half of it's puzzle sections, and the other half is playing the increasingly difficult and satanic Pony Island game. Um... And they're both re- like both versions are really fun and nicely challenging. Uh, but what you're really there is for the story, and I, I don't want to spoil it. But like, it's the story is incredible. It gets really meta. There is a boss fight that makes Sans from Undertale look like fucking child's was, play. Yeah, look like I was getting a little bit of an Undertale ter- vibe from some of this. Yeah, in in terms of like getting meta and like not understanding where the line between like where the game ends and real life begins. <laughs> like there is a boss fight in here. That is just incredible. Um, the, and I, again, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but like it's five bucks. So if you like stories, if you like meta stories, if you like stories about games, you should really, really pick it up. And it's another game that hasn't been getting a ton of press. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in part because any game that came out in January just gets forgotten. Yeah. Happened to Klaus. Um, that's why I was glad to see Klaus there yeah. as well, just because, again, like, the, our game of the year list is the whole year, people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, Pony Island is incredible. There's also a bunch of mini-games in it, um, including Settlers of Satan, <laughs> which is, uh, like, the, a demonic version of the classic board game where you only get bricks. <laughs> just bricks, bricks forever. <laughs> that's beautiful. Because it's the evil version. And it's, I'm picking this up as soon as Yeah, I'm this sounds rad this. as Do hell. Sir, it. it's you will not regret it. Pony Island, so good, so good. Game thirteen, yes. Civilization Six. Mm-hmm. So I uh I, I have not played Civ Six yet, but I, I am excited to because it seems like it's doing a lot of interesting things. The um I, I'm a big fan of Civ Five uh, and of that series in general, but Civ Five and what it became as updates to that game sort of came out over time. 
Uh, six, from what I've heard, is essentially like the best pitch I got given to me. And I think what, what, I think this was actually Nathaniel on our own podcast recently was like, it is better at launch than Civ Five was at launch. It's not as good as Civ Five with all the stuff it got at the end. No, no, no. What Nathaniel, what Nathaniel said was it's better at launch than it's as good at launch as Civ oh, Five with okay, all the I'm DLC. Okay, I'm sorry, I almost misquoted. And he was saying that okay. once Civ Six, he was saying once Civ Six has DLC, it's going to be better than Civ Five. Which, which DLC, is like that excites me a lot because I, I think I share his views on that series in general. He and I have talked off air about a little bit about Civ, and I, I think he and I are on the same page more or less, and just. Everything they are trying to do, and you know, people can go back to listen to those conversations we've had. Everything that it's trying to do seems just very well realized in this, and that's that's civilization as it's at its worst is a bunch of like a bunch of really ambitious concepts that don't always work out or pan out as well as they could if they were more well realized. If the concepts are being well realized in Civ Six, I think that's the best thing that they could possibly be doing. It's a, it's kind of another like what, like what we were talking about with um. Wow, soccer game whose name escapes me just a minute ago. Pez, yeah. Pez twice. Where, where it is just kind of a thing of like an extremely good one of the thing that it is. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. had a, my friend was, I was meeting up with a friend for lunch and he was like 30 minutes late and I just saw him come rushing into the restaurant saying, sorry I was so late. I just spent two and a half hours playing a match online on <laughs> and I couldn't leave. Oh my god. That's, so, that's beautiful. And actually. he's the guy, the guy who only gets a few games a year. And if he could spend two and a half hours on a single match, that's saying something. So in Civ Six, Sean Bean is the narrator. Unfortunately, his character dies in the Industrial Age. <laughs> so that's what Sean Bean does. Yeah. <laughs> his character dies. He's just like narrating. You want to know? I, he's just I've only seen like, one uh, movie where it's so steam power, <laughs> and he just dies. There we go. I've only seen one movie where Sean Bean didn't die, and it was Silent Hill Revelation 3D, where maybe he wished he did. Why did you watch that? (laughs) I watched that! Silent Hill Revelation 3D. I don't know. God is dead. And that movie killed him. Game 12! Why? Speaking of dead, Dead Rising Mm -hmm. 4. Is our twelfth yeah. game surprisingly? I would say because that that yeah that that this is another one. I I feel like kind of like Mirror, uh, Mirror's Edge, where maybe there were more people in our in on our website who had more positive things to say about it than I would say most of the community has. Yeah, I I would I would say it was polarizing mm. because basically what happened with uh, Dead Rising Four, like it's always been a silly series, but Dead Rising Four is where it went. It did the Saints Row thing where it went from being this is a comedy game, like this is a, a something of a serious game with like a serious comedy yeah. element, to this is just nonsense. <laughs> this is just bright purple nonsense, um, and some people didn't like that. Uh, I mean, honestly, I like. I like that. Like, there's a million freaking zombie games. Like, I I think that's a good conceit. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, yeah, I, like of you know, we liked <laughs> it. I guess as a site, a um, lot of lot of big big fans of Dead Rising Four. The the main the main uh, argument against it I've heard is that I guess like maybe Frank West as a character is not handled as well as he could have been in relation to like who he is and what he sort of represents in the rest of that series. Like. 
it sounds like he's kind of just become this grim, bitter asshole of an older version of himself, which if you were somehow like really in love with his character in the other games, I guess that's something you'd be mad about. But he always felt a little bit like a proxy. He was just in there for the amusement of a larger world to me. And as long as he's still that, mm-hmm. then it's it's more or less fine. Um, the one other positive thing I'll say is that there's no goddamn Zombrex timer in in Dead Rising Four, which is which yeah. is also polarizing. Like you were talking about things being polarizing, that's definitely on the list. I could not be more happy that that is not a thing in that game. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> like I, if you ever want to do a sequel to our uh, Ocarina of Time second opinion video about Majora's Mask, I will spend most of that video talking about why I don't like the fact that that world gives me that endless ticking timer. The same is true in any mm-hmm. other game that does that. And Dead Rising 2 in particular, like, I loved every other thing about that game. It probably would have been one of my favorite games of that year if it had not been for me having to give Katie her goddamn medicine every, like, 20 minutes. Ugh. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that Dead Rising 4 probably has more, like, widespread appeal. Um, I think anybody can jump in and enjoy it, except fans of the series. (laughs) Which which is unfortunate. Um, Very much so, I would say, but... But, you know... Games of the year lists are uh, subjective mm-hmm. opinions. We don't all agree with all of the games on this nope. list, <laughs> which is foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. But hey, Dead Rising 4, again, what it was trying to be, which was basically Saints Row. <laughs> Game 11. Digimon oh, Stories yeah. Cyber Sleuth. Nobody, nobody played this. Nobody cares. <laughs> I will fight you. I will fight you. This, I'm sorry, Anthony. Like I put in the article on here, um, I'll span a little bit more than I did there. Um, right when that game got announced in Japan, and there's the official trailers for it, I looked over at my friends like, I will give you $20 if this game ever comes in the U.S. and it's actually playable. <laughs> I lost... $20 and I also got <laughs> one of my favorite games of this year. Uh, if the translation was better, I would have fought harder for it to go up in the list. Mm-hmm. Because it is it is a fan-fucking-tastic RPG. It combines a lot of the sci- uh, ah, cyberspace elements in the game. Because your whole thing is you are a human who is... Def- taken to the digital world into a digital world where people just hang out like and <laughs> and uh, what happens is your body gets eaten by a digital monster a basically a giant tentacle monster and you have to go ahead and find out why your body is now completely digital in the real world and you can go into places and mess with their equipment <laughs> it's also mm-hmm. a yeah, I'm not wording this very well. I no, no, I did not know no, that was I a thing in this game, and you just made me want to play it yeah. 50% more, because that's real neat. Yeah. It is It is a neat game. Um, it's also kind of like Pokemon, where you basically battle and raise up your Digimon to a giant horrible monster <laughs> pit. So you can have up to, I think there's 240 individual creatures in this game, and most of them are actually really good, depending on how you raise them. It's um it's a good solid 30 40 hour RPG. It's one of my favorites that have come out this year. But the translation is one of the absolute most rushed oh, no. not spell checked games I've seen oh, in a in a Bandai Namco game of all things. That you could tell that they were only like cuz the game was sorry, let me rephrase this on here. The game was originally a uh, 
on a, like a petition like hey we want this game to come out mm-hmm. and bandai namco actually looked at it and it's like okay we'll have it come mm-hmm. out but we're gonna spend an hour and a half translating the whole game <laughs> so there's a lot of points to where there's either slight misspellings or uh even if you choose the female character they always refer to you as a guy <laughs> and it makes the situations like really awkward Hmm. Like, oh no, you're such a big, strong man. Thank you for saving me. <laughs> and your character's just like this generic anime girl just looking at the sink of her hands on her hips. I have to play the game for one am- now if I ever play this. I, I, for one, am glad that Digimon Story Cyber Sleuth has given us a trans protagonist. <laughs> Accidentally, maybe, Honest. but nonetheless. <laughs> it may have been shitty and half assed, oh, but goddammit. God. Or, uh, like, it's halfway, uh, like, when you have to choose what you want to say half of the time, it's like, oh, there's three options, but two of the options are the same option. It just runs into the next line. Because <laughs> they didn't format the spelling very well. Well, so, I suppose you can't have you can't win them like, all. Honestly, the, the translation, the story is great, but the, transla- mm-hmm. the translation could have been done a lot better. So that's why I'm ca- I'm while it's my second favorite game of the year, and my favorite's a bit higher up on this list, I'm confident that it deserves this spot yeah. just because of how bad it's translated. <laughs> well, shoot, King's Quest is my second favorite. It's kicking around 15, so there you go. Like, I'm not going to... I I can't argue with the fact that yeah. <laughs> if the RPG part wasn't as good as it was, right. I'd be upset. It, it's, it's, a, it's, a ba- right. it's a very polarized, balanced kind of situation, it seems like. The good parts yeah, are good but enough. I'm glad I lost $20. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was only the second worst uh, assumption I made of last year. So, But that's my thoughts on it. I don't know if anyone else has played it or anything. It's so. also, again, on my list of things I have really and genuinely wanted to play and just not gotten around to yet. Yeah. It's also on my list of if this ever gets to one of the things I <laughs> own. <laughs> It won't because it's a it very won't. Japanese game and it's never not going to be off of the Vita. It PS4. won't. I just need to get a PS4, but that's neither here nor there. Let's mm-hmm. move on. <laughs> game 10. We're getting into the top 10 yeah, now. Wow. It's very exciting. The 10 best games of the very year. Good. That's what we got left. And what is in the number 10 position? Stardew Valley. I'm happy this got as high as it did. I'm okay. And honestly... Yeah unsurprising choice I think to most people uh, um, like I, I agree but at the same time that is a game that made a huge splash right when it came out in what February or March and then kind of like dipped back down under the radar like people weren't really talking about it for a very long time I don't feel like and so I'm actually really glad it showed up back here well that's because everybody was playing like <laughs> everybody was still playing it like um, yeah I mean Stardew Valley it's Harvest Moon yeah, but it's, it's but it's yeah. but but better. There's more. There's tons of things to do. It's a sweet, chill farming game. Um, honestly, I never played it. Not really my bag. Um, you guys know I'm like a big fan of like shooters, <laughs> and maybe that reflects poorly on me. Nah. But uh, you know, for obviously, like if if you're the sort of person who likes this game, like this is clearly a very good entry, and I I couldn't be more happy for that. Yeah, I, I will say that. Yeah, you mentioned. Uh... Harvest Moon, this is the best Harvest Moon game. <laughs> wow. <laughs> just because of... And Harvest Moon isn't a bad series or anything. I just like how they did everything in the world for the few hours I have played of this game. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. My... And like how you can basically yeah. marry basically anybody, no matter the gender and everything, and they don't make a big deal out of it, like <laughs> with a whole nice. bunch of other games. Yeah. yeah. One of the few things on like I've seen, especially in games media, oh, we have to say this, it is the most important thing ever when talking about gaming and sexuality. When games like Stardew Valley, just like, yeah, it's a thing. It yeah. doesn't it doesn't need to be shouted to the heavens. Yeah, yeah. So most that's something I appreciated in that game as well. Nice. Yeah. Stardew Valley. Stardew Valley. You've really probably good. played it. Yeah. I, if I, you uh, wanted to play it, you've probably played it. I, I, yeah, I, I haven't even played that. My my no, sister ahead, my sister was playing this game all day, every day. <laughs> 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 I just I just hear the background music and just kind of pop 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 because yep. that's the kind of the noise you make when you mine stuff. You just hear this popping sound. Yeah, and that little sound effect. Yeah, she just played it all day, every day, until she had like That's these awesome. weird, intense dreams about it. And I think <laughs> she got this kind of manic depressive guy as her husband. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it sounds like it's a really, really addictive game. Almost scarily so, it, from my experience. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> yeah never, it, I never played Harvest Moon myself, but it, it definitely scratched a certain itch I get from Animal Crossing. Uh, just in terms of mm-hmm. that sort of like management of of you know agriculture and stuff like that, I'll I'll be a, a little more taken seriously in in this. Uh, it also scratched a bit it's of also a Minecraft. Than Animal Crossing. Oh Go sure, ahead. yeah, I, I would agree. Um, it it also scratched a bit of a Minecraft itch for me for kind of what you were just saying, like the collecting of resources. Um, there's that giant cave mine place that you can go into and like explore endlessly deeply into that, and that was a really cool thing to do. It it scratched a couple different kinds of itches that. Did not feel out of place being together. I, I I I also only played a few hours of it, but I really enjoyed my time with it, and it was a very charming world. The one thing I didn't like was I really hated the fishing in it. The fishing was very 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 unenjoyable to me, but everything else about that game was just so charming and so pleasant. Like I I felt like I was on vacation in a nice town somewhere, just doing things in that nice town. It was great. <laughs> Game nine, Dishonored two. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah, it was good. Oh God. <laughs> so like, I, I want to. Uh, people can go back and find uh, a podcast like right after I joined Hey Poor Player because that was the same year Dishonored one came out. Um, I made a statement where I thought like I, I like Dishonored a lot. I have a I have a really big like I'm a really big fan of that game, but there's a lot of flaws to it. But I kind of made this weird statement where I was like, I think you know Dishonored two, if they change the right things and make the right improvements, could be one of the best games of whatever year it comes out. Yeah. I <laughs> here I am uh, these years later. I have not played this yet. <laughs> And I feel so bad about that because I've really wanted to after just what a fan I was of the first one. But everything about it does seem very heartening. Uh, like like the, the the fact that, that Emily, who's the, the young girl who's part of the story in the first one, mm-hmm. is the protagonist or one of the protagonists and has these really interesting skills. It sounds like they really have done a lovely job of like focusing on what was so commendable about the way the first one was laid out as like a series of different things you could do in each in each part of that game Mm -hmm. dishonored 2 doesn't make a ton of changes it's still kind of very much dishonored um but what like everything that was bad about it pretty much is gone which is nice you don't have the ridiculously you don't have the ridiculous scene that 
is so terrible in the first disarm where it's like, ah, uh, yes, bring Corvo's special glass. Oh like God. the fucking, like, for the poison. God. The poison specifically for Corvo. Corvo's poison. <laughs> Stupid. Like, a game that is all about player choice forces you to make the dumbest fucking choice. Like, there's none of that. I think that's the main thing. It's Dishonored without any glaring flaws. And the Dishonored, I don't know if you really call it a formula with two games, but, like, what Dishonored is is good enough. Mm-hmm. doesn't really need to be more than that, does it? Yeah. Is it the same thing like you say? where um, you can either, you know, fuck everything up by fighting people and engaging in, you know, fun, entertaining combat, or you have to be, you know, really subtle yeah. and just knock people out and be stealthy? Is it kind of like yeah, that? Oh, it's kind of like that again. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay. You basically wait, have wait, to be Jonathan, a, a pacifist you, or, you, you know, have fun. Yeah. <laughs> Jonathan, have you not played it yet either? Uh, no, I played the first one. Let me, t- let me tell you this. Okay. Uh, the last yeah. uh, last podcast, we talked about, like, how we, you know, we were either ragging on games companies or, you know, fellating them. We can't win. Uh, let me just tell you this. Yeah. The first Dishonored, I loved it so much. People say I was ragging on Beth. Bethesda, but I loved it so much. I if if Bethesda had a collective phallus, I would fillet it. That is how good <laughs> the first Dishonored was, and that hopefully will communicate in a rather disgusting way uh, how excited I am for this one. Yeah, I, I just I just enjoy that because I remember uh, this time last year we were doing like our episode on the most anticipated games of the year, and you mentioned Dishonored too, and we had a whole conversation about it. And I like that we're the two who were very excited and have still not played the damn thing. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, come on, guys. The, the thing yeah, is, there yeah. were just so many but, bloody games this year. Oh, there were. Like, this was a, just a stocked year of really notable things to play. It, it, it's like, I think it's, it's like for, you said last week uh, that um, 40%? I think of the games that are on Steam came out this year. I can't remember the exact <laughs> figure. It was a lot. Oh though. yeah, yeah, that's yeah. correct. That's not yeah. necessarily a good thing. That's not a case. good thing. But there were many, many good games yeah. this year. Yeah. Let's talk about some more of them. <laughs> Game eight, Watch Dogs two. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it a lot. Give us the highlights, Jay and or Jonathan. Jonathan, I think you've played more of it than I have, so you can sort of I, if you'd yeah, like. Yeah, I, I have, uh, I have finished it. Yes, Watch Dogs cool. Two. Basically, I said last week, uh, Ubisoft have to make a shit game before they can make a good game, and <laughs> wow, they have done that here. Uh, yeah. What original Watch Dogs? Uh, the, literally the worst protagonist ever. Unlikable <sighs> piece of garbage. Aiden Pierce supposed to be cool just comes across as this awful man-child, delusions of grandeur, staring down at his phone, emotionally dead. <laughs> He's awful. Aiden Pierce is terrible. Um, Watch Dogs 2, very likable protagonist in Marcus. He's just a fun, cool guy who likes helping people with yeah. their problems. And just getting involved, being interested in things. You know, yeah, it's not yeah. just it's not <laughs> yes. just too cool for school. He gets invested yeah. in people and things that happen, God forbid. And that is kind of like the game, and you're invested in everything. And there's so, oh, it, it, it's just like hacking was really funneled in the first game. You just you had to hack certain things in a certain order. Watch Dogs mm-hmm. Two, complete opposite. So much stuff. You, you can have a like a little drone copter, and you can drop ECM bombs onto enemies. Or you've got <laughs> your little RC, 
and you can kind of like put a speaker on it so it'll kind of taunt them and like lead them around corners and like fuck you come over here and then they'll kind of walk <laughs> around the corner and you can kind of beat them over the head and there's just it, it, it's just such an amazing representation of San Francisco too it, they got it mm. dead on I swear I was going to some of those restaurants in Marin and I've been into restaurants like that and oh my god, Pier Pier Thirty Nine. I I was walking along Pier Thirty Nine. I was thinking, are they going to have the seals? Are they going to have the seals on the left, just like in real? Yes, they are. They <laughs> they've got the seals, yeah. and I can take a bloody selfie, a goofy selfie. Where I can make a dumb expression with the seals on Pier Thirty Nine. Amazing! Oh, I love Watch Dogs Two. It's so good. So much. To, to Watch your Dogs Two. Watch Dogs Two is again. We've talked about it a lot, but Watch Dogs Two is part of a trend that we are seeing. We're going to see a lot in the top ten games of this year, which is I feel like 2016 was a year that a bunch of games remembered that games are about fun. Yep. 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 <laughs> yep. yep. Um, Absolutely. And like, uh, sort of moving out of the like grim, gritty, brown and gray that dominated i would say a lot of the 2000s and especially the later 2000s and maybe the early 2010s arguably and moving more into like what if it was just silly and dumb and like that's fine even things like king's quest which you know wasn't like i wouldn't say is quite as ridiculous as watch dogs 2 even that is like what if we made something that's more uplifting or can we make a good story that's uplifting oh we can that's that's allowed that was allowed that's allowed (laughs) The, the would, new Ratchet and Clank reboot that came out this year is another good one of those. I, I wouldn't even call it kind of dumb or silly. So, I mean, there, there are actually some interesting... That's the thing. I mean, it felt like the first one was kind of tone-deaf to real-world issues. But the mm-hmm. thing is, Watch Dogs 2 does talk about a lot of real-world issues, like how yeah. Google is harvesting all our data and sharing it right, with the government right. and a lot of other shady no, agencies. No, I, did, I, no, I didn't... I, I didn't mean to suggest it was dumb, yeah. but it remembered that games are about having oh, fun. absolutely. Something I, I, the first I, I, Watch I, I, Dogs forgot. More to your point about it being more colourful, it is. It is actually, yeah, I think it's the most colourful game, most colourful AAA game, I feel, in this world of grey, greyish, <laughs> brown shooters. It is so colourful. Yeah. Um, and just the, and, it, and it, Marcus, you can dress him up in anything you want. It's amazing. <laughs> you don't just have a choice of like a brown overcoat, a grey overcoat, <laughs> a green overcoat. Did you see when you know. Ubisoft was selling Adrian Pierce's baseball cap oh and calling it his iconic, iconic. baseball cap? Iconic. Iconic. I I think I used I like this kind of um this he's got this kind of reggae hat on, a reggae beanie. Yeah. And yeah. I never took it off and it pissed the hell off <laughs> out of my sister. <laughs> Oh my goodness, that's perfect. I, I dressed him up in like full hipster with like like a little a little beret and like a vest with a tie and like a oh, weird like skinny jeans bright orange and... blazer. Oh yeah, oh yeah, Ugh. purple skinny Watch jeans. Watch Dogs Two is Watch Dogs Two is canceled. It's great. It's so good. But no, like to your point, Jonathan. The problem with Watch Dogs One and and Aiden Pierce as whatever he is to be called a protagonist is that he feels like he is there because he is obliged to be there. The, the the main character of Watch Dogs 2 is there because he's having fun. He genuinely wants to be there. He's like, hell yeah, I like these people I'm working with. I like this cause. Like, he's a really good protagonist, even even when he's just completely goofy. Like, he's really good as part of DeadSec, too. The, even just, just DeadSec in Watch Dogs 2 is so charming and funny. Like, 
you, you've got um, what's his name? Emoji head. Wrench. Wrench, Wrench. is is just this wonderful <laughs> character. Like, <laughs> there's even just these funny little interactions between the two of them as they kind of become friends through their dialogue. Like, um, I forget the name of the mission, but it's the mission where you essentially steal the car from Knight Rider. Um, that 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 mission begins with with them just sitting down to watch the trailer, and there's just this funny dialogue of, "Oh yeah, man, I waited for you to watch it. Oh, thank you." Like they're just becoming friends in this dorky, awkward way that's really amusing to watch as you go through the game. And, and I, it's just, I feel, it's... yeah, yeah. Um, I I feel like they really put an Ubisoft a lot often don't do this, but they feel like they really put an effort into kind of ambient immersion. If that makes mm-hmm. any sense, just these little it touches, does. little touches that just immerse awesome. you in the world. Like you'll be walking yeah. along, and there'll be a bunch of there'll be kind of a gay car wash, a bunch of guys in leather and spandex, <laughs> kind of having a car wash, and you'll take a selfie with them, and they'll pose for you and stuff, and it's just so mm. many fun little slices of life in the game. You just you can hours and hours you can just walk along the street, you're not shooting or fighting or anything. And there's just so much stuff to discover. It's really the the real potential of open world games. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, it is quite good. Yeah, yeah, I I wish I had played enough to say more than you have, but you've really put it like as eloquently as I think it can be put. Like it it is just a great open world experience that people should should really not look over based on what the first one was. That's the real message here is by god do not not play it based on what the first one was. Look, uh, if Ubisoft make the worse the game Ubisoft makes, the better the sequel will be. That's the yep. that's the take home yep. message. Seems there so. There you go. Game 7. Fire Emblem Fates. Oh, Spivey, Man, was I dance. sure fucking wrong on this game? Spivey, let's dance! <sighs> the week before this game came out, I was convinced that this game would not sell. Yeah. Because every other game in the franchise, except for uh, Awakening, sold horribly in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Because this is not a genre that most Nintendo fans like. It's also changed a whole bunch of the concepts that surround Fire Emblem. Personally, I think it's for the worse, but that's different. And it sold, in the first two weeks, better than the entire rest of the series. Yep. Yeah, and that was like one of my very first articles writing for Hey Poor Player. So. That, that was a good article, too, even though it did turn out to be wrong in terms of what actually happened. That was actually a really good read. <laughs> Turns out to be the exact opposite of what happened. But yeah, no, it's it's really funny, Anthony, because I think you and I are the two with the most exposure of the game, and I think you and I are like the furthest from the people who voted for this game nearly enough for it to be as high as it is. Um, uh, I will vote that Conquest deserves right. to be on this list. Yeah, that, The other two I... I do not think are good. We, games. we should make that distinction, yeah. So, so uh, Fire Emblem Fates did the Pokemon thing. It came out in two separate versions. Um, and three, yeah, three if you include that third one, which I I don't know much about. But we we can get to that because that was I feel like a little bit. Of Wasn't a it just piece, both still. of them together? Or? Not quite. Um, okay, it, it so. was it, it was it was a third version that you could get if you had bought the two of them together. You would get like a free download code for this third version when it came out a little later. So, or you would uh, have to pay an extra, I think it was $15, which is what I had to do. Yeah, so so basically how it worked was, uh, you're a character who, 
there's these two big, big cultures at war. You were born in one nation, but raised in the other. You were like kidnapped as a child, raised in the other. So, but like raised as a member of the royal family in the other. So like, you know, these princes and princesses are like a family, you know? Um, but then it's revealed, oh no, you're from this other family. Um, so in Birthright, you are going back to the family that you were born from and fighting for them. In Conquest, you learn it and kind of just don't care and you're like, no, I've been raised with this other family, I'm gonna stay with them. Um, which is, which is a really good setup. And what it creates is two kind of wildly different games. And I'm, I'm completely with Anthony in that Conquest, while also the brutally harder one at times, is kind of the objectively better one. And I think, I think the one that makes it worthy to be on this list, definitely. Yeah. If, mm-hmm. if it was just Conquest that came out, uh, there'd be no reason to, to even talk about the other two games, but they put on Fates as a whole. Which I understand. Revelations is better than Birthright. Yeah. I've played all three of them. Oh yeah, we should say what I've Revelations played, is. So. Revelations is where your character sort of chooses to do neither. And so then just, like, from what I understand, Anthony, you can tell me if I'm wrong, essentially just gets people from both sides to come and join him or her in, in some other quest as things move along. Basically, Revelation should have been what the game was all along <laughs> because you get every character ah, from both sides, basically. Great. By the end of the game, you get basically everybody. It it felt like honestly that the game was made for Conquest and I not and then and Revelations, and they mm. made Birthright as a second thought just because of how not well those map designs were for Birthright. Not I, the enemy placements, everything, which is what those games are. Yeah, because it's a strategy return based uh, strategy game. Uh, yeah. But I will give Revelation the fact that it was a de- it was a decent uh, third game where you choose neither and you just recruit everybody else eventually. Yeah. And Conquest is the one of the hardest Fire Emblem games, but I think it did it the best way to where you, it'll still give you the options of Awakening, where you can choose to revive your characters after the end of every battle after the end of every turn. Yeah. yeah, or yeah. Battle. Yeah, I, I, I would say if, if people are interested in Fates and don't know which one to get, I think it's it's Conquest is kind of the one to get. Like, it, it is harder, but it is just the... It is the one that makes this on this list, I think. It is, and Most you definitely. also get uh, what my friend refers to as Big Titty Sister Waifu. <laughs> Fucking Big because Titty that's, Oh, boy. Yeah. Because that's what one of the characters that... is. She... <laughs> She's like, I love you so much. Please put your head on my lap while I brush your hair. That's the one thing. It's a weird thing. That's the thing about Fates is, is, you know. And you can marry your sister. That's the thing about Fates is, is you are, like, the Fire Emblem games are gradually, like, steeping more in the anime-ass anime-ness of things. Like, Awakening did it to some extent. And people should definitely also play Awakening as a side note. People who haven't played 3DS. Awakening is good, too. Awakening's great. It's one of my favorite 3DS games, period. Um, but, like, they they borrowed into it a little bit, but it worked. That's That was one problem I did have with Fates, is the fact that you're, like, going from, oh, here's this really interesting plot about, you know, you're from this other nation, there's another character who has had the same history, but the other way around, she's from the nation that you were raised in, but born in the one, you know, it's the same thing, but reversed. And then they go from there to, oh, suddenly you're a giant dragon, and an anime woman has brought you to a spirit world as a little dragon riding a ball to tell you about how to make spirit houses. Like, it... Like, it, I'm huge into anime. <laughs> yep, we know. Fuck the plots of these games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they are bad for Fire Emblem. 
fight like, in the entire yeah. thing. They have like like dragons and stuff in those games, but they work for these games. Yeah, for yeah, those yeah. games, they're based off of Western mythology for the most part. Yeah, these games were not. They were based off of the guy saw a couple popular animes. Like I'm gonna write that. Yeah. But I'm going to make it with my sister. But I'm going to make it so you can marry your sister or your biological sister if you play Birthright. <laughs> yeah. You you guys you guys know what I really like about Fire Emblem? What's that? I like that they're going to use the Fire Emblem mechanics for the Raving no, Rabbids no, Mario RPG no, bitches. No, I'll, uh, <laughs> uh, well, I promised I was going to bring it up. Uh, I couldn't let I knew someone was going to, and I was not. But I could feel that someone was going to say it. I hurt. I hurt so much. I really hope Mario can make out with a rabbit in the next game. His biological sister, a rabbit. I wish for death. Death and no other things. I will also say that the translation guy, the translation that Treehouse did, isn't great. Yeah. Like, they added, like,. I'm okay with most translations um, going into it, so long as it doesn't change the core parts of the story. Parts of Fates just were really bad. Like, it could tell that Nintendo was trying to force memes that didn't happen. <laughs> like, one of the main characters in Japan is, like, this sombering, sullen dude. And in America, they just made him add... I really like Pickles and every other fucking support link that made me hate the character, even though he was supposedly really choice. good. I refused to use him because I fucking hate that they did stuff like that huh. or uh or there's one which is like the more serious one where there's two assassins talking about how they've killed before and how it's actually made them really bad and f- depressed and in america that social link just ellipses <laughs> that entire thing they didn't translate a single fucking line they just did ellipses response huh. ellipses response ellipses for the entire thing oh you've increased in rank just they ruined some characters in the mm. translation too, but, but as the, a, as an actual gameplay mechanic, yeah. conquest and birthright are great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just to tie it back, the the reasons they're on here and the reasons they're worth talking about is because <laughs> as like Sorry. as no you, no you're okay because I Anthony Anthony I agree Sorry, with you on all of games this. that went high in this list. I agree with it you. It won't happen again. No, like like I, I'm with you, but like the re- the reasons it should be on here are, are just like. It is a very like you know ta- good tactical RPG. It, it those games with the social link stuff continue to do really cool stuff mechanically, and that's true enough so that I think it's it's definitely worth the recommendation. Just press start whenever cutscenes play. If you're not yeah, yeah. Which which I know people who do that with all those games. So go for it. Yeah. All, right. all right, lads, let's move on. Yes. After all, we wouldn't want to spend this long talking about every game. <laughs> Game six, Pokemon Sun and Moon. Oh, fuckity fuck. <laughs> no, like we said before the show, I think Spivey and I have talked so fucking much about Sun and Moon that there's not really much more to be said at this point. But like... They good games. It, I'm done. They good games. They good. Game good. Do good. Go, go play game good. Like, no. I, if you feel ripped off, you character. feel like you want to hear more about Pokemon Sun and Moon, listen to the Pokemon Sun and Moon special. Oh you can tell because I love this. If you Google Hey Poor Podcast and look at the images, one of the top images is the one I made where it says, Gotta Catch the Men, <laughs> which was the name of that episode. <laughs> I'm so glad. I like, photoshopped the Pokemon Gotta Catch Them All logo to say Gotta Catch the Men. So go oh listen to God. that. Yeah. No, but like, 
to be brief, I, you know, I, I, I wrote the thing for this one for our list, but like to be brief, I'll, I'll just say like it is, and this is sort of a summary of what I said, I guess, but the thing with Pokemon games is they often come out and people on a lot of game sites are just like, oh, Pokemon continues to be good, moving on. Because, and, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Like, to be honest, I, I love this series, but they historically have done the same thing over and over in many respects of the way those games are made. Um, with Sun and Moon, they found a way to stop doing that, but also make the game feel familiar to series veterans and just make it like the freshest game in the series in generations. Um, and, and the way they did that is, you know, they took out the gyms, which are the core of everything. They put in these island trials, which were, like, fundamentally we were like, oh, it's still do seven or eight of a thing to become the best at a thing. All right. But we didn't really know what they were going to be. And the fact is that, like, making them something other than gyms and gym leaders allowed them to... It just allowed them a lot more freedom with the way the game flows and the way you are challenged in different ways, what kind of ways you're challenged, um, the, the variety of ways in which you are challenged. And that's the core of why Sun and Moon are exceptional as Pokemon games. Because at the end of the day, they are still the very well thought out in terms of like competitive play, you know, sometimes basic at the very beginning, turn-based RPGs that they've always been and probably always will be. But like there's two things they could have done with that. One, they could do something that I think was a bit of a trap X and Y fell into with the Mega Evolutions and try to change it up in such a big flashy way that it kind of disbalances the whole thing. Or they can do what they did in Sun and Moon, which is that they keep that that you know that core mechanic series intact, but they change the way that like in other Pokemon games the the the, the lack of change in like those core mechanics over time makes games a bit more predictable. In this, the games are not predictable, even though those mechanics at their core are kind of the same. It, it's it's what is thrown at you in the context of those mechanics that is so much less expected at any given time in Sun and Moon. And that is why it is great. That is what leads to, like, the things they're able to do with the narrative of that game. Like, the story is really good. Just the flow in terms of the way you're challenged in different ways. That is how they're able to do that in ways I don't think any other Pokemon game has quite managed to do. Some have come close. Some have done similar things. None of them have quite done that. And it honestly creates a fresh enough experience that I would even say people who have never been able to get into Pokemon should at least give Sun and Moon a shot. And that's my piece on that. I will say that the only other thing I'll add is Lily is the best and most well-rounded character, and I want to protect her. Lily is extremely well-written character. There's a few, like, exceptionally well-written characters in Sun and Moon, yeah. Lily is great. But that's all I have. Jay said it best, and you've heard me. It's been, we've probably talked more than in total of a couple hours on this podcast. <laughs> we've talked for, yeah, episodes, yeah. So. Too, too much. Mm-hmm. To say not of Nathaniel. All right, moving on. We're, ne- we're in the top five now. Oh, Jesus, we are, and, huh? And game five is XCOM 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, good. Uh, it's Talk something that we've talked about with games. many of these games um, where. It's essentially it's 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 much the same as the first XCOM, except all of the little things are way better. Um, but since the first XCOM was so so good already, it really is some kind of phenomenal. Um, you know, the, the first XCOM there were some things that didn't make a ton of sense story wise, and so because you were supposed to be this like all of the world's governments banded together, and yet you didn't seem to have a lot to work with, and also 
everyone in the world like hated you inexplicably. Yeah. It works much better in XCOM 2 when you are the underdogs fighting against an alien invasion. And there's a lot of other interesting things they do with that story. Uh, the campaign is better. Um, and it, aliens actually move before you run into them. So there's reasons to try strategies other than run towards the aliens and then shoot. Like, <laughs> because they actually move when because they actually move even like before you've seen them bunkering down and just overwatching um which is not has nothing to do with the other game but like <laughs> uh, like basically hunkering down and like adopting a defensive position is a viable strategy now just lots of little things like that that took what was already a great strategy game and made it a really great strategy game something else i want to mention about it uh, we did talk about this last week but it's worth saying again i really love how much the xcom 2 developers embrace the modding community like making the full suite of mod tools available uh, getting the people who made the long war which was the most popular mod for xcom and something that like Honestly, XCOM 2 is more sequel to XCOM The Long War that was the actual XCOM game. Like, it added a bunch of things from that. Um, they got them to... They got to play the game early, and they got them to make a mod that was available on launch. Not like his DLC or anything. Just, hey, download a free mod that is here on launch day. That's great. It Like, I want to see way, way more of that. Mm-hmm. Like, fan-made free content like sh- i i wish that every game did it the way xcom 2 did it even if you're not a huge strategy person i think everyone can respect and appreciate that definitely honestly i like the list of reasons you gave a minute ago about you know some of the shortcomings mechanically of, of the first uh xcom in terms of like <laughs> strategies other than run towards the guy and shoot the guy those are the reasons i fell off on enemy unknown at the time like i really liked it at the beginning but then i found myself getting bugged by like exactly the list of things that you just said were sort of fixed by this new one and i find that really mm-hmm. encouraging as as someone who hasn't played it and was kind of tentative on the idea of doing so Quite I will recommend. say that this is a game that I will never be able to beat, and I'm perfectly okay with just trying again and again. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. 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 That's fair. Fucking impossible. But I like them. Yeah. A mm-hmm. lot. I just can't fucking beat them. Because I'm bad at games. I do like how yeah. it's a lot less arbitrary uh, in XCOM 2. What in XCOM 1, you just sort of you'd wander an exact distance, and then suddenly mm-hmm. it'd play a little. Yeah. Uh oh, the aliens! They've spotted you. Animation, and then it, they just kind of automatically run to different places. In, in XCOM Two, you can actually kind of set up ambushes. You can kind of uh, sort of uh, hide behind uh, some cover and wait for them to sort of patrol yeah, yeah. down this valley, and you can attack them from either side and blow up a barrel nearby. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's good fun. Also, this. This is going to sound like a weird thing, but um, the music on the squad selection screen in XCOM 2 is one of my favorite songs from any video game ever. <laughs> like, legitimately, that song is on Spotify. I think it's just called, like, Squad Select or something, and it's been, like, one of my most played songs this year. Like, it's such a... It's a club banger. It's great. Nice. Um, yeah, XCOM 2. <laughs> Game four, Overwatch. I get to talk first. All right, yeah, no, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. My show, I get to talk first. Sure. Overwatch has already inspired several copycats. 
Battleborn is not one of them because nope. it came out first and started development first. And but it's a completely things different like Pal- game. things like Paladins, things yep. like a bunch of other games. Even even now, like the new Quake game, Quake Champions is going to be a hero shooter. If a game was going to like set the tone of first person shooters in the way that Halo did when it came out, and in the way that. Uh, 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 Gears of War did when it came out and inspired the era of cover-based shooting. I'm glad it's Overwatch because Overwatch is this cheerful, friendly, incredibly colorful game with a fairly diverse roster of characters um, that doesn't take itself seriously and, as we talked about with other games, dedicates itself to just being fun. Yep. And if that's going to be the template for games here on out, as the number of Overwatch clones already in the year of its release would suggest. Hell yeah. Thank you for that, Overwatch. Well said, actually. That that was that was very well said. And I, I, I agree. Like that's and I, I gotta be honest, we gotta stop comparing it to Battleborn because they're also two different types of games. They're but, not even remotely similar. So let's just <laughs> stop bringing them up in reference to each other. because um, otherwise we're gonna keep promoting that whole discussion, which I think is which I think we can both agree is a kind of dumb comparison argument to have yeah um so i think we're ready i think we're ready to leave that behind oh definitely but i wanted to get you with the (laughs) actually having good things to say oh completely yeah and and you make some like thank you for that you make some really valid points but um on so on on top of that and i i know i liked overwatch a lot more than you did um but like what what i what i love about overwatch is and, and i i know you said a version of this on the show a couple weeks ago but like the version I always thought of before that even was there there's a there's a this is so stupid. There's a quote in The Incredibles where um you remember classic 2005 uh Pixar movie The Incredibles. Oh yes. There's uh there's a there's a quote from Syndrome, the villain of the movie where he's basically like unveiling this plan to force everyone into having superpowers and he has this line that's just, you know, whenever when everyone's super no one will be. That yes. is Overwatch. Every character in that mm-hmm. game is a superhero slash supervillain with a varied set of superpowers. And since they all are, none of them are. And so what mm-hmm. what happens there is a, a and you know, I will completely concede there have been issues with the balance of that game. I think overall it's had a lot better balance than a lot of other games Pasty. like it in the past. No, all right. Look, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna dig into this for a second. No, we're not. No, we're not. No, we don't have time. Okay, all right. So what I will say is sometimes it's issues of actual imbalance. Sometimes it's issues of players taking a long time to actually figure out the ways to circumvent a character. Bastion. Fair. Um, Fair. But like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really, that's what it comes down to in that particular Nicely case. Done. Bastion has not been nerfed or buffed once, and people don't really have a problem with him anymore because they figured out how to deal with him. Um, but there are ones where it was a problem. Like, McCree's alt was initially a huge problem. Uh, Symmetra was not viable in the game at all until a recent patch, and now she's really good. So, you know, obviously those things are going to happen, and I think to a certain extent that's just part of it being a multiplayer game with a multiplayer landscape that is not always predictable. Um, but mm-hmm. it is a game where every character like every player feels empowered at all times you feel like a goddamn superhero but you are also being challenged because again everyone's a goddamn superhero it's also you know on top of just the fact that it is damn fun to play it is all these characters who are simple enough that they're easy to pick up but like just complex enough and distinct enough that you always feel like you're learning new things um i'll also say like 
I'm sorry, I completely lost my train of thought for a second there. Um, it, it is it is also something where, like, there's just a lot of positivity to it. It's not a game where you see a leaderboard where you're like, oh, man, I did the worst out of all 16 players in this match or anything. No, you get to see all the best stuff that happened in that match, and sometimes you get to be part of that. Maybe you're mm-hmm. player of the game. That is- maybe you're one of those players they list at the end of having done really good things in that match. Yeah, that is honestly possibly my favorite thing about Overwatch yeah. because I like I was was a big big Team Fortress 2 person. Yep. This is yep. kind of the year TF2 died to be honest. Yeah. Oh, like when I was doing my Battleborn versus Overwatch video, um I was going to do this hilarious joke where every time I talked about Overwatch instead of using Overwatch footage, I was going to use Team Fortress 2 footage because it's the same it. goddamn game. Um, and literally Team Fortress 2 servers were so fucking dead. Yeah. And then when I finally got into a game, it was so broken and laggy. Yeah. Th- I couldn't do that. Yeah, well, I couldn't do that joke at all. But like, uh, uh, so, but I played a ton of Team Fortress 2 yeah. and, um, I was one of those people who would obsessively check the leaderboard. And as I got better at the game and got to a point where I could actually be first on the leaderboard most of the time, that became like all I cared about. Like, yeah, I, I, and I just, I know that about myself. So I do really like that about Overwatch that that's not even there. So I, I don't feel that stress. And yeah. you can just focus on playing to the objective, not that anyone does. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, no. And, um, and, and yeah, I really, I really like, honestly, everything that you like about the game were the things that I liked about the game. Hmm. Like, I do really like that style of balance. I hope it's something more games pick yeah. up where the balance philosophy is everyone feels overpowered but no one actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that sort of to close things out, like whether you love Overwatch like Jay or whether you feel as I do about the game, there's no denying that it was one of the most influential games of this year. Yep. It's a game people are going to be talking about for a long, long time. And if for no other reason, it definitely deserves a place on our game of the year yeah. list for that. Yeah. It was a game of the year. It was a game that defined the yeah. year. It, it's it's my personal favorite game of the year. It's also the game I played the most this year, I want to say. That that or Pokemon. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's Overwatch, though. And you get yep. to yep. play a Cockney. <laughs> yeah, there is shim, one of them shim, in there. Shiru. There is one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> love. God, blimey. God, I'm a lesbian, God. I am. But no, and, and and just to add to this, she has loved the cavalry's queen. <laughs> oh God, do we have to do this? <laughs> but no, like just just to add to the closer, <laughs> you did mention Team Fortress Two, and like the it's Team Fortress Three joke is a very common one, and it's kind of true. It's I'm not, not a joke; it's a fucking statement of well, fact. yeah, yeah. Come I'm not gonna now, deny right? it. It is it is a better Team Fortress game than the Team Fortress games are, and that's a good thing. Like. It is it is an elaboration on what those games started because oddly enough we were talking about with Mirror's Edge earlier how that is a neat genre idea that not of an, another not a lot of other games have done not a lot of other games have quite done what the Team Fortress games did in terms of that like mm-hmm. cartoony character shooter thing that is why Overwatch fit in so well where it did because can, it had been a while since mm-hmm. we'd have anything like one of those can, can I just make yep. a I think what proves um, why Overwatch deserves this spot. Because, mm-hmm. like, I mean, you know, Jay and I, you're talking about Team Fortress 2 and the leaderboards and how you're really hardcore into it and the subtle differences and the balancing. <laughs> I mean, I don't know anything about it. I am super hardcore casual. I just hop on for, like, an hour or two with my friends. And I feel like I enjoy it just as much as you do <laughs> you know yeah. just for the oh, just exactly yeah because no. it's so easy Another to pick up point. and play but even if you're super duper hardcore into it it's yeah. also good for you too it's good for anyone it's so accessible yeah 
Yep, and that's, Honestly, that's part of it, yeah. Honestly, one of my hopes for 2017 is that at some point I will pick up Overwatch. Like, I'll actually get my own copy because I, I played it at, like, friends' houses. Like, I will get my own copy and play it and hopefully, like, enjoy it a lot more this time. Yeah. I Like, I want to like it. <laughs> I don't want to not have fun with a game. Yeah, and, and so that's... And I don't think you're wrong for any of your arguments against it. I think there are flaws with it, you know, and I think... I, I think Part of that is that it's a again, like I said, it's a multiplayer landscape, and so different people are sometimes going to have wildly different experiences. Also, that's sure, that's sometimes sure. based on what you play it on. Like I play it on PS4. I have a very good friend who <laughs> bought it on PC, hates the PC community, but insists on continuing to play it until he feels like he's played it enough to have his money's worth. <laughs> so I just get to hear him <laughs> complain about it all the time, um, which is not great. Mm-hmm. I would not describe that as a great experience, but like mm-hmm. I, I completely hear what you're saying because you know you are going to run into a very like vast variety of different issues with the game just depending on your luck and getting into matches and who you're playing with and stuff but like yeah i i'm I'm totally with you i also hope that for you and anyone else who's shared your experience because there are a lot who have i hope that the game just continues to be better and more fun and a more positive experience for more people in 2017 okay i think think we've said plenty on overwatch at this point Yeah, yeah it's a good game good game Game 3, Final Fantasy 15. Sort of a late entry into the 2016 canon. It's also a game that we've talked a lot about, and we've talked a lot about it recently. So, once again, Jay, why don't you hit us with the highlights? Um, Yeah, so I I can. Like, I haven't haven't played all the way through the game. But, um, essentially, like, the reason Final Fantasy 15's on here is that it is an extremely tight action RPG in a world where it is very easy to, for lack of better phrasing, make a very loose action RPG. Um, it is, like, action RPGs like this tend to be places where you can find so many issues with just, like, the, the, the things that come from RPGs in terms of, like, very precise strategical stuff versus, like, how well do those things work in real time? Like, um, I always think back to uh, The Last Story, which is a very beloved game by some that I hated because there were ideas that worked really well that would have worked better if it was a turn-based strategy game, in my opinion. And that is that is something that this game manages to not do. It, it is Final Fantasy XV is a game that does have some odd flaws to it, but it is just a really amazing RPG in a really broad world. Um you've got just this amazing sense of scale to it like i i forget the name of the world off the top of my head but it, it is it's not like the biggest world in any video game ever made or anything but everything in it feels like part of a fairly real landscape even the parts where you're driving through land where there's random like archways of rock towering over you they're just weird like kind of thin archways it's like oh yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure I'll find like the ancient creatures that made this this way at some point. <laughs> like it all fits together mm-hmm. very cohesively. The combat is extremely satisfying. Um, I like the way they integrated spells into it. Like there's not there's not the sense of classes that there are in your classic Final Fantasy. No one is the black mage or the uh, you know whatever, but they integrate that into a really good way where your spells are usually essentially just like bombs. They're just like things you can detonate on groups of enemies and you can figure out how to utilize those. And the way that comes into play in a lot of battles is very neat. Um, personally, it doesn't like, I, I, I wish that we could have gotten someone who would play through the entire thing on because I, I have only played some of it. It doesn't really make like my top five or anything, but like, I'm about 10 hours in. Okay, yeah, so, so you're welcome to I chime agree. in at any time. 
Um, it's a fucking good RPG. It like, really I'm actually is. playing the story part now. Okay, yeah. Like, I'm a few chapters in, because I was really just marathoning the main games until I got every item sure, possible. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, it's a, it's a solid-ass art. Like, I was, when the game came out and was announced as 13 verses, mm-hmm. and they were talking about all the stuff they were going to do, I honestly didn't think it was going to be as well done as it is. Yeah, yeah. Especially considering, you know, you only play as one character. You only play as Noctis. Yeah. You don't have any control over anyone else. And, and it's a fairly small it's party mo- for the most. It's, it's mostly just these same four boys through the game. And they're See, four very good boys. That's that's what I was Final the most worried about. Um, mm-hmm. Because the closest uh, analog we have to that is uh, Final Fantasy X2. Uh, <laughs> or it's basically uh, yeah. free girls getting dressed up and singing karaoke. Yeah, anime, uh, final, you know? <laughs> final titty. And so I final thought, like, maybe That's what that game I thought maybe this game would be kind of the same, but with just four yeah. guys, and it'd be sort of a bit uh, lacking in that sort of party variety. But what I, I want to, s- what I've heard is that it's completely different. And there's uh, mm-hmm. very good character development. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone oh, yeah, so far has too. had I want to s- great character, does, like character moments. Not even like development, but just you can tell like when they're in the battle what their personalities mm-hmm. are. It shines through just even watching them. If you, even if you don't do anything, it really like does. A, yeah, like Pronto slipping and sliding everywhere. And when you win a battle, he'll occasionally do the 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 victory theme. He'll just start humming it. And it's always great. Yeah. Um, I, I, or you're... how you have the big dudes. I, you were trying to make a point serious. a couple times. No, I, I I just want to say that no offense to everyone else who worked on this, including myself, but uh, Nathan's entry for Final <laughs> Fantasy Fifteen is, and nobody say why, make them go read it, mm-hmm. is the best entry on the game of the year list. I just, I'm, the, I'm just not going to deny and, that. It's, it's a good one. It's very, very just good. Just go and do that the old read arena. Yeah. You, you owe it to yourself. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the small cast is uh, completely different from recent Final. Besides ten two and like th- up till three, like Final Fantasy one through three, and then ten two are the only games that had such a tiny character list where you don't even switch out anybody. And it works though that I can remember, and it it works really yeah. well. It most definitely does, <laughs> and that, that it becomes like one of the strongest points of the game. I think is just like I really like this group of friends and following their exploits, just being the group of friends that they are. Like it, even even the thing where you know ha- part of how the game works is you rack up exp, but it doesn't sort of get like the the experience you get doesn't get like banked into raising your level or anything until you like make camp or go somewhere to rest for a night and sort of like okay they've they've gone they finished their thing for the day or for the however many days they were out and there's always like things that are going on in the background while you're watching those stats go up and all sort of like calculate up and add up and sometimes it's just them sitting around a campfire eating dinner but sometimes it's like what one time it was uh Prompto giving Noctis his camera so Noctis could take pictures of Prompto just doing like <laughs> Doing like action movie gun poses against the campfire and then just falling over and just being an asshole. Or like it'll be the four of them all like playing a video game on their phones together. Like it's like weirdly endearing little intimate background moments that just make the thing all the more dear to you at the end of the day. And it's really cool. It's it's just really cool for those. It's it's a good game and anyone who is like iffy on it they needs to pick it up if yeah. they like it like even with fans of the series like i pretty much really only like the turn-based ones mm-hmm. 
I think for the most part, when they stopped doing it, the series has gotten just worse overall as time's gone on. Yeah, I, I agree mostly. But or, or even if you're the opposite, this like... game though is is fucking like even though it's not turn based at all, it is a good design game. Yeah. It's not really like much of Elsa's they done. I guess Kingdom Hearts is the closest thing. <laughs> yeah. But even with the weapon switching and everything, uh, the magic casting is a bit different. It is a it's a good. Game. Well, well, and I was I was gonna say like even if you're kind of the opposite, I I I think I said this when I was I started playing it. I have a big problem with playing turn based RPGs on a console just sitting in my house. Like, it, I get antsy. It, it's just not enough stuff going on to me. Like that is something. I play turn-based RPGs on, like, portables or my phone while I'm, like, watching Netflix or something. So, like, even if you don't often like traditional Final Fantasies, there's a good chance that this game may have things that are for you that others have typically not. And and it's just worse. Like, every time you boot up the game, there's this big text that says, you know, a Final Fantasy game for first-timers and series fans or something like that. And fans and first-timers. First yeah, I was going to mention and that. And it's really it's true. It's a stupid thing, but it's true. It, it's very stupid, it is... but very true. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's the 15th game, but we better remind everyone it's for beginners, even though they already bought the game. But, but it, it is in a so, much but... more, like earnest, deeper meaning kind of way than, like, you can play this one if you haven't played the others, because that's true for all of them. But this one in a very spirited, deep, meaningful way is true for that. Game 2, Uncharted 4. Yeah! I like this game a lot. Yeah! (laughs) I I like Uncharted 4 a lot. I was very glad it... It got this high up. I, I wasn't sure who would vote for it other than me and Frank, just because there hadn't been a lot of discussion Oh, Bethany among us. loves Uncharted 4. Yeah, and somehow that slipped it's by It's her me. number one. Oh, wonderful. It was almost mine as well, honestly, until I just sort of continued to play Overwatch, and that eventually slipped up for me. Um, Uncharted 4 is my favorite Uncharted game. I think it balances the parts of its story out the best of any of them. I think the fact that they kind of drop the supernatural bullshit that happens near the end of all the other ones is objectively a good thing. I I just ugh. there I I'm trying to think I I want to say maybe one time before Uncharted Four had a game ever made me physically tear up. There is a scene in Uncharted Four, and it's not even like a sad scene. It's just a sort of just emotionally heavy scene that is completely quiet that just made me tear up like a fucking baby for a minute. And mm-hmm. l- like you know, Jonathan, you were talking earlier about. Uh, why you love Flame of the Flood and why it was your first 5 out of 5 because of how it emotionally moved you. I I didn't review Uncharted 4, but if I had, I probably would have given it that same score for those same reasons. Like, I was very moved by a lot of the storytelling in Uncharted 4. And it's not even that, you know, none of those games are like, this is the best story ever written, like the most mind-blowing, unexpected story ever written. But it handles themes that stuff like the later Indiana Jones movies, and I'm sure there's other good examples one could find in, like, literature even. It handles themes that have been handled before in such a freaking good, earnest, heartfelt way that makes you care about, like, Nathan Drake and Ale- his relationship with Elena. Like, his, his his marriage with the girl who was kind of a boring love interest in the first one and very gradually became a lot more than that, like... There is just a lot of coming full circle in Uncharted 4 for, for if you're a fan of the whole series. But there's also a sense of that if you've only played Uncharted 4. And that is, like, we can talk about gameplay and stuff, but in terms of just the themes of that game, that is what just punched me so hard for Uncharted 4.
All right. Now, before we get to the game of the year, I know we've run a little long, but honestly, we're the Hayport Podcast. We run long. It's what we do. Now, here's the thing. Originally, Jay and I had talked about having a whole bunch of extra categories to talk about on the podcast for fun. (laughs) We scrapped these partially because we thought it wouldn't be necessary, partially because some of them weren't that good. Like, we were talking about doing most anticipated game, which is a waste of time because everyone's most anticipated game is Mario Raving Rabbids. You're not wrong. (laughs) I am anticipating that game like I'm anticipating getting all my teeth inked out by an old man. In one way or another, everyone has it on their mind. (laughs) Um, But but I do want to talk about, I think we must talk about, the worst games that we all played in 2016. This is not on the article. This is not an official category. This is a Hey Poor Podcast special. Oh, boy. Exclusive. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, and, and it's it's oh boy, I didn't play a lot of like awfully bad games this year, so I'm gonna ask for someone else to go first. Fucking the first muvel of a game was some of the absolute worst visual novel experiences I've ever had. Yeah, in my entire life, I wrote about that, and people got mad about it because they're like, "No, you can't judge the first game. You have to play the second one game to get the full experience." I'm like, "Why the fuck should I have to play two games in order to like the first one?" <laughs> well said. Uh, that uh Final Fantasy Explorers for being an extremely mm-hmm. lazy uh Monster mm-hmm. Hunter clone. Was a really bad one too. Yeah. And then a bunch of shitty phone games that I can't remember the names of. <laughs> What have you got, Jonathan? Uh, oh, God, yeah, France just didn't give me that many terrible games this year. <laughs> uh, Weird! Santa oh, Frank has I got it. several! See, I Weird. was new, so we had to throw them all at him. Yeah. I did play a few sort of bl- really bland, forgettable games. Like, uh, well, I, I, I have to review all the 40k games. That's just a rule, apparently. Uh, so there was uh, Eisenhorn in Xenos. It was just oh, yes. uh, the, 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 it was like a mobile game, but they decided to be cheeky and try and release it on PC as well. Uh, and it and it showed um, just kind of the most bland, uh, rote third person yeah. kind of. It, it, it's like I mean, you could tell in the mobile game you're just supposed to kind of tap the screen repeatedly. But in the uh, on the PC version, you just kind of click repeatedly. I, I, oh, unlike man. the mobile version, there's not no timing to it. You just do it over and over again. Really? Slash wow. slash 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 slash. Yikes! Wow. It was. It had a kind of interesting story because it was based on quite a novel, which I've heard is quite good. Um, but other mm. than that, it was pretty bland. And... Nice. There you go. I uh, I did think of one quite significant one for myself, which would be a. Uh... A specific port of a game, uh, which is the one time I've gotten very angry comments on a review I've written, like very angry, and that would be the uh, the nigh unplayable PlayStation Four port of Kerbal Space Program. Now, Kerbal yeah, Ker- I was waiting. For yeah, this. I, I knew you knew this. Kerbal Space Program is a good game. It's it's actually quite a good game. Um, if you, if you play it on PC, I there's probably some other ways to play it that are good. This is not one of them. The um. The PlayStation 4 version of Kerbal Space Program is... <laughs> so the first off, the text boxes that explain how to play the game and everything else are written in such tiny text that I had to stand like a couple inch, like right up front face to face with my 40 inch HD, like 1080p whatever TV. 
It is such small text that you cannot read it from your goddamn couch. Like, physically cannot read mm-hmm. it. Um, th- that is the first problem. <laughs> the other other problems with this game include just the fact that, like, the... So, so obviously there's going to be a problem with this because it's, it's like a building-centric game centered around, like, using a mouse to do things where now you're using, like, the joysticks and stuff to do them instead, and that's never going to be as fun. Um, but there are just such giant accessibility issues with, like, the way game modes work and don't work and the fact that just no things are explained to you really well. Like, um, I'm trying to remember. There was a specific example... Oh yeah, like that. It even just is in terms of like the way menus behave and don't behave. Where you will click on different areas and have no idea what you're being sent to. Things will take forever to load. Uh, sometimes the game will just freeze in its loading screen forever. I had that happen to me about six different times uh, on different occasions, and that was actually across multiple PlayStation Fours. Just to make sure, I installed it. I, I like logged in on my buddy's PS4 and, and tried it there. And had the exact same problem. Like, it just got stuck on the loading screen twice. Um, even stuff where it just seems like they, they didn't import the right versions of images for some things. Like, things that would have been fine on computer screens, but are just really horribly low-res versions of those assets and images on console. And I've seen comparison between these versions. It was just it was just a barely functional mess. Like, a technically functional, but mm-hmm. really unaccessible mess of a version of what is otherwise a really cool game. And that made me sad. Because yeah. I, I, I had never actually yeah. played... Like, since then, I've played the PC version. I hadn't played any version of it yet. That was my first exposure to Kerbal Space Program was the broken PlayStation 4 version of that game. And that sucked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame. Mm-hmm. My least favorite game of the year. Oh. Okay. Here's the thing. I have talked about Potato Thriller quite a bit. <laughs> it is one of the worst games I've oh, ever played. Man. And you might be thinking, why do you keep criticizing? This is like a stupid indie Steam game. There's 100,000 of these. Oh, what makes me so angry about Potato Thriller, other than everything, is that it knows it's garbage. It doesn't want to be criticized. It says on the Steam store page stuff like, this is not the greatest horror game in the world. Please don't take it too seriously. And to make sure to say in the game, like, this is a satire. Of what exactly? First of all. But, like, it it knows straight up it's garbage and it does all these things to try and make itself immune to criticism. And fuck that. (laughs) Fuck that somebody made this thing, sold it on Steam, knowing it was shit... (laughs) I will die on this hill. I will, like, fight this game tooth and nail because it is the epitome of everything that is wrong with Steam and why it should die and we should all switch to GOG Galaxy. (laughs) It's just poorly made, completely unfunny. It opens with five minutes of staring at a radio while News Guy 1 and News Guy 2, and I know what you're thinking, yes, that is N-E-W-Z because it's wacky. Oh, boy. Which is clearly one guy doing two voices through a headset mic with no pop filter. Oh, man. Both of which are terrible. Both of the voices are bad voices. And just delivering the dialogue with all the fucking confidence and charisma of any character in Star Wars Episode Two, Like, it's just <laughs> completely unfunny, unplayable, broken, terrible, garbage evil. A cursed, bad, terrible game. Goodness. 
And fuck it for existing. Aye, there's a game. Fuck it for making the world a worse place. Aye, there's a game you should look into uh, by the name of Tomato Way. Or Tomatoes Way. I don't think it's by the same developer, but it is of a similar ilk. But I think you may enjoy it a little more because it's like... <laughs> it, it's the same level of knowing it's a bad game, but like they try to minimize the bad, and it's kind of fun as a, as a result. But uh, if you if you're looking if you're looking for a, a vegetable related gaming experience that's less subjectively horrible, I, I will send you some mm-hmm. links later. It does it does one of my least favorite things in the world, which is there's a lot of like unfunny movies and games and various things uh. that will make a joke about how bad it is. But then still do the bad yep, thing, yep. right? Like, Potato Thriller does this a lot, like, wow, isn't it funny how these, like, horror trope because it's ostensibly a horror game, like, how <laughs> this horror trope of, like, walking around collecting pages while a monster, like, jumps out at you from the shadows, isn't it, like, isn't that so trope and played out and trite? And that's still all that the game is. Like, pointing out that it sucks just makes me go, yeah, you know what? That does suck. This game does suck. Everything about this makes me want to kill myself and then others. So, I had to get that off my chest one last time. It is the only game I have actually deleted from my Steam library. Holy crap. After reviewing permanently, because nothing on God's good, good green (laughs) earth will ever make me play, or even, like, approach Potato (laughs) Thread. So, with that... It is now time to unveil Hey Poor Players 2016 Game of the Year. Okay, I'm not going to do the whole thing. Hey Poor Players 2016 Game of the Year. And I was like, everyone hates this. No, no. Yeah, just a bit. I, I mean, I like it was a good <laughs> test of my earbuds. <laughs> I'll give you that. Test of my earbuds. <laughs> I, I I held them like very far away from my head to a point where normally I could never hear sound of them that far away from my ears. I could still hear it. I could still hear it quite well. A test loud. of everyone's patience. It reminds me of the time that when my school got like a bomb threat. That was the noise that played in the hall. Evacuated. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm just a little bit excited. Doom yes. 2016 is our game of the I'm year. I'm excited for you. Boy, do I have some... Okay. So, like, obviously I could talk about this game for a million years. Nobody wants me to do that. Uh, I already have. I'll say this. Uh, over the, uh, like, past couple of... Actually, last mm-hmm. week. So it's been, like, within the week. Uh, I got as one of um, the, like, few Hanukkah presents I really received, because Hanukkah's not a big gift-giving holiday, I got the Doom art book. 
Nice. And it is really impressive looking through it, like how much work and thought they put into everything. Like, uh, like it's these like gorgeous hand painted concept art. And like, it talks about all the like thought they put into developing the game. And like for a game that is about running around shooting monsters, you would like, they, they treated this like it was an art film. (laughs) And I feel like that really shows in the game because everything about the game like works so well together Mm -hmm. uh like the music again in my opinion you know i've talked about this a lot but in my opinion like the best soundtrack of 2016 like doom's music perfectly complements the gameplay and the gameplay works well with the story and things like getting health and ammo you do that by killing things like literally everything in this game is pointed towards is like very carefully, very smartly for such a dumb game pointed towards one direction, which is what's laid out in the opening lines, which I feel like do not get enough appreciation. Cause like these opening lines were when I knew the people making this game understand what doom is. Mm-hmm. And those opening lines are, uh, they are rage brutal without mercy, but you, you will be worse. Because Doom 2016 is a horror game where you are the monster. And that is great. That is wonderful. Like, there is no... I mean, obviously, I'm hella fucking biased. Let's not even pretend. But to my mind, there is, like, no more, like, just straight-up fun, absolute power fantasy game than, at least this year, than Doom. And you know what? That's that's just... And, like, the, the... Sure, that's all it is, but the craftsmanship of it. There is no game that epitomizes decided to do one thing and did it well better than this game. Yeah. And that's all I'll say for now. No, I I mean... Because it's a game I will be talking about and playing forever. (laughs) And I I mean, you're, you're totally right on there. And like, I'll be honest with you, Doom is another game on my list of things that I have been hitting myself for not finding the time to play in 2016. That said between, you know, conversations with you and Lord knows how many other people over the course of this year, it just seems like, like, you hit the nail on the head with it's a game where you're the monster, but it's not a game that tells you you're the monster in, like, as blatant terms of, it's a Slenderman game, you're the Slenderman, find the people. Like, it's, there is nothing, it's blatant in the sense that it doesn't take you long into playing it, because I've I've seen it played a great deal. Um, It is not blatant in the sense that, like, or it is blatant in the sense that it doesn't take you long to figure that out once you've started playing it. But it also doesn't tell you that. You are just doing what you're doing, and if that... You're just tearing up whoever's asses you're tearing up, and if that makes other people think you're the monster, that's their problem and not yours. You have some demons to punch. And that is just Mm -hmm. what the core spirit of that thing is. Yeah, like, again, everything about it is so smart. Like, so the story is not a big deal. No. Um... Uh, which is fine. It shouldn't be. It's a Doom yeah. game. I like the fact that most of the story is written is like written in these like logs that you can read through. Because if you're like me and you genuinely like thirst for rich, deep Doom mm. lore, it's there. And if you don't, 
care, it's not there. Fair enough. There's like only a handful of very short cutscenes, but everything that's there is like really smartly done. The main character, the Doom Marine, never speaks, never really has a proper name, and yet he feels like a real character because of like the body language he does. Like really small touches, like you're going down in an elevator, and you're the the guy who's in charge of the facility is. Exp- that's been overrun by hell is explaining to you why it was necessary to tap into hell and the do and the camera just like subtly looks down at this corpse that's in the elevator with you like that level of storytelling has no fucking place in a doom game and yet it's there yeah and again it's just like everything about it is really really well done except the multiplayer which is trash yeah. don't play the doom is a single player only game don't even don't there's nothing yeah else. yeah and, and i think that's that's worth saying is that like when we say doom is our game of the year like it is kind of that the doom single player story is our game of the year and i i think it is the, I, I think that's permissible yeah. in, in the same way when i say overwatch is my personal game of the year not every mode in overwatch is my personal game of the year there's a couple like they've expanded the arcade stuff there's a couple i hate but the core of why that why i play that game is enough that's my game of the year the core of why people love doom is enough that it's our game of the year Thank you so much for listening to what I know has been a, uh, I like to think of it as an extra chunky episode. Of yeah, that holy podcast. shit. We just went through that whole thing, huh? Um, thank you. Uh, you know, hopefully some of your favorite games were on the list. If not, you're wrong. No, <laughs> no you're not wrong. No. If, wrong. If not, remember that opinions are subjective. Also, even these games we aren't saying are perfect. These are the games that to us, we thought were like our staff yeah. enjoyed the most this year. Um, and... You know, if you want to read more of our stuff, you can always check out www.heyportplayer.com, which this is the official podcast of. You can find Jay at Extreme Salsa, yeah. Anthony at Virtual Spivey, Jonathan at Jay Tizzlefish, ha ha, and myself at Last Space Marine, all on Twitter. Um, and yeah, 2016 was a good year. It for was games. very good. Here's hoping the same for 2017. And hey, like if if you if you did hear games that you didn't hear games that you feel really strongly about, come into our forums, sound off about that stuff there. We'd love to have those conversations with you and hear like what your favorites of the year were, because that's always just a great conversation to have. You know, it has been for the last two and a half hours here. It will be there too. Yeah. All right, and with that. I've been I Coleman. I've been Jay Petrogren, Private Eye. I think I made that joke last week. You yep. did. Keep making it. It'll be funny. <laughs> one day. One day it'll be funny. I'm Anthony, Fire Emblem Fate Sucks by the <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jonathan, getting drunk on behalf of Francis Trussler. And I think I've done a pretty bloody good job. Jesus <laughs> Congratulations. Uh... Thank you so much for listening, and have a wonderful Wednesday night. Thank you very much. Happy 2017!